And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it. Welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. With you till 3 on this Thursday. We get you ready for the weekend with plenty to do over the next few hours. Coming up. Name, image, and likeness. How it's changing recruiting in college football. Plus, Trevor Lawrence with some advice for Arch Manning. Is Arch Manning... The quarterback with the most pressure on him in college football history. The Atlanta Hawks make a nice trade. Plus, the premier player to look for in basketball moving forward. More information or anecdotes or tidbits on Freddie Freeman as his agent spoke out, or now former agent. We'll get to that. Plus, Brooks Kepka speaks out about his move to the Live Golf Tour. And a whole lot more over the next few hours. We'll look ahead to the July 4th holiday and plenty more to do between now and 3. You can join the conversation throughout the afternoon. 843-721-9500 to give us a call. You can always text the show. 843-608-1734. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. On Facebook at ESPN Charleston. Via email, studio at kirkmanbroadcasting.com or online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Head over there and click on our show page where you can leave a comment for the show. You can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there, or you can even take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Ready until 3 on this Thursday, Trent's on the steel wheels. Trent, what's going on? How are you? Luke, I'm doing phenomenal. Uh, last night, I got to address this immediately. Last night, I went to do the uh, Aviator, and oh, immediately yeah. I fell asleep within the first 10 minutes. So no movie review today, but I will get on it tonight, Luke Marl. But I'm doing great. It's a nice Thursday here in the low country, and I'm feeling good. This Marl Midday Show should be the best of all time, Luke Marl. That's not a great style for the Aviator. It, it knocked you out within 10 minutes, It, huh? it knocked me out. Well, I was already tired. I got home a little late. You know, I was out having a good time. I said, you know what? Let me lock down, get ready to go for the Aviator. I woke up about four in the morning and said, yeah, you know, I bet it was a good movie. So there you go. There's your review. Yeah. Yeah. Slept through it. Figured it was pretty good. Saw Leo. I mean, Leo was looking good, yeah. uh, as always. That's so, right. you know, I'll get back into it tonight. I- I'm going to figure it out. All right. Well, you do have time because programming, no, I will not be here tomorrow and I won't be here all of next week. So after today, I won't be on the Morrow Midday Show for, uh, for a while until July 11th. So taking a little extended uh, summer siesta here. Um, for the holiday and whatnot. So we got a lot to get to over the next few hours, and then I'll be off for a little while and be back with you on July 11th, 7-11. So let's get to it because we have plenty to do today in the meantime before we get ready for uh, the holiday celebrations 
over uh, the next week plus. Name, image, and likeness. I want to start with this because I saw this poll on Twitter. And, you know, it's, it's obviously it's, uh, it's a certain demographic. It's only whoever votes in the poll. It's a certain people that see the poll. But Sports Talk Media Network, which you can hear right, right here on ESPN Radio, each night from 6 to 8, they put out a poll earlier this week. And they said, according to reports, a Miami collective will pay a quarterback $9.5 million. A Tennessee collective will pay a quarterback $8 million. Do you think Gamecocks and Clemson collectives should engage in that type of bidding for a premier quarterback? That's the question. Because of what's happening in college football, Tennessee got a top quarterback in the country by reportedly including $8 million in name, image, likeness. Miami just got a top quarterback with the help of reportedly $9.5 million from their collective. If you're Clemson, if you're South Carolina, and you're seeing what's happening elsewhere in college football, should you engage in the same practices? And I was very surprised by these results because 80% of voters say no. 80% of what I assume would be Gamecock or Clemson fans voting in this poll said no. Those two schools should not be uh, engaging or bidding or coming up with money, NIL deals, to get the top quarterback talent in the country. I would say yes. I think it's a clear yes. And I think this is the way that the sport is going. It's a lot like in professional sports. And I know you will want to split the two, college, professional. You may not like the idea of kids getting paid. But there is nothing worse than being a fan of a, of a professional sports team and having a cheap owner unwilling to spend the money. The New York Mets lived through it for a long time. Now they bring in a new owner. Steve Cohen bought the team, richest owner in baseball, and they're throwing money around, and I have plenty of Mets fans, and they love it. For years, you'd always hear the rumors. Could they get this guy? Could they get that guy? They'd lowball them. They'd lowball their own free agents. They'd get guys after they were already over the hill. Never in on a lot of the big names in recent years. It's incredibly frustrating. When it takes money to build a good roster, and the owner's unwilling to do so. If you're a fan of the Cincinnati Reds, Kansas City Royals, Baltimore Orioles, Pittsburgh Pirates, and that's just in baseball. Right? If you're a fan of the Spurs, you're probably upset when you wake up this morning and see they traded your one all-star. Right? They're tearing it down and building it back up and doing so through draft picks. In the NFL, we see it from time to time as well. Teams that are too cheap to spend on a certain player, especially a quarterback, let him go elsewhere. Look, Kirk Cousins, not a great quarterback, but Washington would never commit to a long-term deal. And now look at Washington since. They've been shuffling quarterbacks year after year and have had disappointing seasons year after year. Kirk Cousins isn't great. He's probably better than whatever Washington has thrown out there in recent years. Teams that are unwilling to spend money. There's nothing more frustrating for a fan than an owner, than a team that's unwilling to spend. And they have an opportunity, and they could go get a great player, the exact guy you need, and they're just unwilling to open up the pocketbook. They won't do it. They won't spend the money. Now that's creeping into college sports because of name, image, and likeness, and how much money some of these big guys are demanding. Would I offer to spend $9 million on an offensive lineman? No. Even a wide receiver? No. A defensive back? No. But when it comes to quarterback, quarterback is so important. It's the most important position. Tennessee just got a really good one. Miami just got a really good one. I assume name, image, likeness didn't play a huge role in Arch Manning, but if you could get a kid like that, right, you should be willing to pony up the type of money that would be required. And when you look at Florida specifically, this is the way that recruiting is going. It's why I think uh, Mario Cristobal is going to do great at Miami because he's already a good recruiter. He's shown that before. And now he's going to have the financial backing of Miami. And we just saw them steal a quarterback away from a bunch of other schools this week by reportedly a $9.5 million offer. 
Florida was one of those schools. Florida also lost out on a kid that went to Georgia. They lost a recruiting battle with somebody who went to Florida State. They lost a recruiting battle with someone who went to South Carolina. Not great for Florida to be losing to those schools, not only in terms of prestige, but also the fact that right, South Carolina, Georgia, they're in your conference. Florida State's one of your in-state rivals. They lost out on this quarterback to Miami. People are already wondering, is Billy Napier the guy? Billy Napier had to put out a letter last week to try to tame the, fly, the, the fires of the Florida faithful. Not very happy. And then there was this quote in regards to that recruiting of that quarterback who went to Miami, in which it was stated that Florida is the most dysfunctional collective in all of college football. I plan on steering my clients away from them. From my standpoint, I never even want to deal with them again. If it weren't for the collective that's completely dysfunctional in Florida, he probably would have been there. That's in regards to uh, uh, the top talented uh, quarterback that chose Miami this week, reportedly for $9.5 million. If you're not getting into the pool of name, image, and likeness, you're going to fall behind. It's the same thing I said about the transfer portal with, with Dabo, with Dabo's refusal to get involved in the transfer portal. You don't want to? That's fine. Others will, and that's the direction in which the sport is moving. USC is the favorite to win the Pac-12. Their quarterback transferred in. Texas has the second-best odds in the Big 12 behind Oklahoma. Both teams had their quarterbacks transfer in. Right, Pittsburgh and Wake Forest. Uh, Pittsburgh won the ACC last year. They replaced their quarterback with a transfer this year. They have uh, the second-best odds to win the ACC behind Clemson. No transfer quarterback there. Right, Bryce Young, not a transfer quarterback. But Georgia, don't forget, last year won the national championship. The original starting quarterback transferred into Georgia. And then Stetson Bennett took him the rest of the way. And Stetson Bennett, by the way, theoretically, I mean, he went to another school, came back, yada, yada, yada. A lot of quarterbacks, obviously, uh, Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma, a lot of top quarterbacks went through the transfer portal. And now not only transfer portal, but the top quarterbacks are making their choices, Tennessee, Miami, based off of how much money they're going to get as well. And the quarterback position is so important that you have to be able to play ball as well if you want some of these kids. South Carolina got Spencer Rattler through the transfer portal. I don't know how much name image likeness is uh, involved, although I did see that photo online of him posing like a new car. That probably doesn't hurt. It also helps to have that connection with Shane Beamer from his previous stop and Spencer Rattler needing a place to go play. But if you want top quarterback talent, you're probably going to have to open up the purse strings here moving forward in college football and spend a little bit. And I saw 80% of fans that I assume, Gamecock Clemson fans, said, no, we don't want to pay for quarterbacks. We're above that. We don't need to pay for our quarterback talent. We don't like the direction college football is moving in. That's fine. You may not like it, but you may also fall behind because other schools are going to pay for these kids. They already are, and they're getting top-end quarterback talent. It's the way of uh, the world when it comes to recruiting now. No longer is it necessarily just about winning a bunch of games or even having a connection with the coach. A lot of times we've heard Lane Kiffin talk about this. Right? It's free agency. They come back to you and say, hey, here's what this school offered me. What, you, what can you do? Can you best it? Can you match it? It becomes a, a bidding war for the top talent in college football. And we could have a conversation whether you know it's good or not, whether these kids should be getting $9 million coming out of high school before they even take a snap in college. But instead of sitting there complaining about it and longing for the times that were, you can also adapt and keep up with the changes to keep up with the rest of the sport as well. This is what's going to have to happen in college football, whether we like it or not. You're going to have to start have to spend some money to get top-end talent. You know, Tennessee got that big-time quarterback. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name because I'll just butcher I'll do a disservice to the family. But Tennessee reportedly is paying $8 million for said quarterback to come to school, getting the top quarterback, uh, the, one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Here's a um, well-known Tennessee fan. Clay Travis was on the radio in, um, I think it was in Alabama. 
And uh, Clay Travis was talking about how because of name, image, and likeness, you could see a team like Tennessee suddenly take a step forward. This is the concern with Florida. Billy Napier seems to be a good coach, but is it the right time with Florida? They need to get things together behind the scenes to apparently keep up with these collectives and name, image, and likeness. And it could help teams level the playing field. Florida may fall behind in all this. Tennessee may take a step forward, where even though Tennessee's not winning national championships, not keeping up or competing necessarily on the field or at the top of the SEC, where they are competing, keeping up, matching, or outdoing is in the offer or the amount of money that they can offer, which allows them to steal some talent away. Here was Clay Travis talking about that, about how Tennessee is a school that really could take advantage of name, image, likeness. And nowadays, that may be the most important thing when it comes to recruiting. Well, look, I mean, Tennessee has a lot of billionaire boosters. And I I think I told you guys when the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban blow up happened, I think on some level it's Nick Saban acknowledging that Alabama isn't as well equipped in an NIL era as schools that have tons of billionaire boosters. Um, And so Tennessee has got a lot of really rich guys that care a lot about how well the program does. And in years past, sometimes that could be a mess to have a lot of super rich boosters because they all have big egos and they can pull in different directions. But when you just say, hey, you can get these players if you're willing to pay this amount of money, you're speaking their language uh, because you typically don't become a billionaire without being pretty good at capitalism and understanding basic business mechanics. Now, I know – Some people inherit it, Uh, but the family in general uh, certainly has to be a big capitalist family in order to become billionaires. And so I think Tennessee is well-equipped, as are Texas A&M in Texas uh, and probably USC. There are relatively few schools that have multiple billionaire boosters. Tennessee's one of them, and I think they've been very progressive in terms of trying to put together a collective that is going to lead to, uh, to you know, a lot of really good players coming to Tennessee that might not have looked at the balls otherwise. Clay Travis talking about Tennessee and the advantage they could have, where you can make up that difference through name, image, and likeness. They just got a top-end quarterback. Miami as well, giving Jaden uh, Rashada $9.5 million. Miami also this week brought in uh, the former uh, wide receiver from Penn State, Drew Allar, who's getting a nice NIL deal there as well. And for... Clemson, South Carolina, if you don't do this for South Carolina, it already makes it hard enough to keep up in the SEC. And for Clemson, the rest of the ACC may not be as big of a concern, but I do really like that fit of Mario Cristobal in Miami because he's already a good recruiter. He's from the area. You have that connection there. He knows the area, and now he's got the financial backing of Miami where they were doing things illegally 20 years ago to put together one of the best college football teams we've ever had. Now they can actually do it a little more legally. They can give a quarterback $9.5 million to make sure he comes to Miami before ever taking a snap. They can pay for Drew Aller to come be his target you know, as a wide receiver there at Miami. And Cristobal can do a good job, even for the guys he doesn't have to pay, of bringing in good talent. Miami could be building something in the ACC. And when it comes to the SEC, schools like Florida that don't have this all together could be falling behind. A school like Tennessee, who has plenty of money to spend on these kids, could gain a real advantage. And if you're South Carolina, where are you going to fall in all that? So I saw this poll, and I was surprised. I voted in the poll. I voted yes, of course. And I'm not a Gamecock or a Clemson fan. But it's the cost of doing business nowadays. right? If you want to compete in college football and you want to get some of this top-end uh, talent at quarterback, which you need to go compete at the top level of the sport, you're going to have to start spending some money. You may not like it, but it's the new wave of the world.
you know, in the NFL, we see a lot of these defensive coaches as well kind of falling behind in this whole idea. That's why Sean McDermott's the ultimate outlier, because they went and they drafted Josh Allen, and boy, has he worked out. But a lot of the other coaches, uh, defensive coaches, look at Ron Rivera in Washington. Right? They go with Taylor Heineke. Ryan Fitzpatrick was the solution last year. Now Carson Wentz. They've never spent big on a quarterback. Before Ron Rivera was there, they let Kirk Cousins walk. Speaking of Kirk Cousins, he was the guy that they went all in uh, at Minnesota with Mike Zimmer, defensive coach. Didn't quite pan out. For the Steelers, he replaced Ben Roethlisberger with Mitch Trubisky. A lot of defensive coaches are still thinking about winning with defense and not worrying so much about the quarterback. Not going and getting that big-name quarterback. Josh Allen's really the only one. It's why the Patriots are so great, because you had Tom Brady and you had Bill Belichick. And then they replaced Tom Brady with Cam Newton. And over the hill, washed up Cam Newton. And now Mac Jones as well. A lot of the defensive coaches in the NFL are struggling as well to adjust to such a modern offensive world where you need a star quarterback if you want to go win. Look around the NFL. Look at the quarterbacks that are winning. It's all the top quarterbacks in the league. You need a top quarterback. In college football, same idea. Now, how do you get one in college football? You may have to spend a little money, and that's what's required to do. And for South Carolina and Clemson, look, this is just a certain portion of the fan base voting in this. But I hope the boosters, the majority of the fans, the programs themselves realize that this is kind of the direction college football is moving in, and this is uh, what you have to do in order to get the job done. You're going to have to spend some money to get top-end quarterback talent, and that's what it takes to go win big in college football. Coming up, speaking of top quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence had some advice for Arch Manning. We'll get to that next. The more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Coming up, does Arch Manning have the most pressure on him of any quarterback in college football history? He's not even in college yet. We'll get to that coming up. Plus, Trevor Lawrence's advice for Arch Manning. Open the show, talk about name, image, and likeness, and how, much like the transfer portal, you may not like the direction college football is moving in, but you kind of have to keep up with it, or you're going to fall behind. And I saw a poll where 80%, I assume, Clemson, South Carolina fans voted that They would not want their schools to get involved bidding for top-end quarterback talent, and I think that's a mistake. I think you may change your opinion over time because that's what's going to be required for these schools to get that top quarterback talent, and we know top quarterback talent is what's required to go win big in college football, and this is now the way of the world in college football. This is what you have to do. Try to keep up with the top programs. And those who find an advantage, like Tennessee, will be able to shorten the gap between them and maybe in Alabama by getting a lot of talent this way. Miami's bringing in a lot of talent, spending money for it. We'll see if that works out. Closes the gap already between them and Clemson and the ACC. But this is what teams will do now to try to climb towards the top of college football. Already, Florida fans are very restless with Billy Napier, unhappy with the current trend and offseason here for Florida. They're losing out on recruits. I read you that quote last uh, segment where uh, the collective seems to be a bit of an issue with Florida. Trent, you're a Florida fan. 
What's the, the pulse of the nation right now when it comes to Billy Napier and what's going on with the Gators this offseason? I think the fans are a little upset, Luke. Uh, you know, rightfully so right now. The recruiting hasn't gone the way that it should for the University of Florida. That's a blue blood program. You know, two uh, two national championships in the, in the 2000s here in about 22 years or so. So this is a program that needs to be top 10 in recruiting. And if we're losing out to Florida States and Miamis, especially in-state kids, yeah. that was the problem. Will Muschamp, when he came to Florida couldn't recruit the in-state kids. Jim McElwain did a good job recruiting the in-state kids. Dan Mullen, yeah, it, it was all right. It could have been better, but that's the you know that's the mo is to get the in-state kids from South Florida, Central Florida, and bring them. And we have the money. That's my big problem with all this, Luke, is that we have Gatorade, you know, one of the biggest you know liquids in the entire world who can fund this NIL collective. We have the money to do so. Is it the coaching staff? Is it the collective itself that is not giving the athletes what they want? Who knows? But, yeah, I am a, I'm a little upset with Billy Napier right now. I didn't like the hire to begin with, and, uh, you know, this certainly doesn't help. But, but he hasn't coached a uh, football game yet. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt right now. And luckily, Luke, we have a good quarterback that you can surround the team with. That's the bright side of this whole thing is we have Anthony Richardson. Yeah, that is true. It was uh, just over a month ago when Billy Napier said Florida will not get involved in NIL bidding wars, and that could be a mistake. So I know a lot of Florida fans are very upset right now. It's the uh, current state of college football. This is what you have to do. And if you're Florida especially, yeah, keep that in-state talent in-state. And you can't be losing out to Florida State Miami for these kids, which is what's been happening. Hey, speaking of top-end uh, quarterback talent, Arch Manning, of course, made his decision to commit to Texas. I don't know if name, image, and likeness is involved in any way with Arch because obviously the Manning family, they don't need the money. And I don't think that was a big deciding factor. Maybe he'll play some sort of role, but I don't know how much Arch Manning is going to get just to go to Texas. With his name and his popularity, I'm sure a lot of companies would love to have him uh, sp- you know, work as a sponsor. I'm sure he'll have plenty of opportunities. But I also heard audio from Archie Manning, the grandfather, before the commitment about a few weeks ago, talking about how they've handled Arch in an old-school way. He wasn't going to do a bunch of visits early on. He was not on social media until just a few weeks ago. They were not going to do all the social media stuff. They weren't interested in name, image, likeness. And they can do that because, well, they're the Mannings. And Arch Manning is a big enough name and draw, and they have plenty of money that they don't need to get into that bidding war. They can make a choice simply just out of the school that he prefers. But when it comes to Arch Manning, the hype is already before the kid even finishes up his high school career. Right, The hype is through the roof. Here is Brad Crawford, who writes for 24-7 Sports. He was on uh, radio The Next Round is the name of the show. And Brad was talking about um, expectations. What should we expect from Arch Manning that would allow him to reach those expectations? What does Arch Manning need to do at Texas in order for this to all seem like it will work out? Here is Brad. I mean, I think to be the top-rated quarterback of all time, you know, three three guys have been in that um, 24-7 composite, you know, top-rated player scenario, him, Vince Young, Quinn Ewers. You have to at least win a Heisman Trophy or a national championship at Texas, right? I mean, in order to meet those, you know, lofty, really outside the – stratosphere expectations um arch is a guy obviously comes from a good family nfl background has all the talent in the world but you know coming in as the number one player of of all time at the quarterback spot obviously expectations are pretty wild for him and you know it's it's going to be hard to meet that but i'm i'm sure steve sarkeesian that texas coaching staff fellas they're going to do all they can to make sure he has the pieces around him you know to get it done and and get the Longhorns in that Final Four picture. 
That was uh, Brad Crawford talking about Arch Manning going to Texas. Right, what should we uh, expect? What needs to be done by Arch to make this all worthwhile? By the way, who leaves the, the ringer on their phone? I don't know if that was one of the hosts or if that was Brad. All right, who leaves the ringer on? My phone's on silent 90% of the time. And on do not disturb quite a bit as well. Who still uses the ringer on their phone? Your phone's with you all the time. You don't need the ringer on. It vibrates just fine. That'd be asking a lot for Arch Manning to win a Heisman or bring a national championship to Texas. But when you talk about the top quarterback recruit of all time, it does seem fair. You're talking about this is the best quarterback that we've had since these recruiting services began over 20 years ago. You would like to think that he could at minimum win the Heisman, be the best quarterback in college football. Or because you have the best quarterback recruit historically, maybe of all time, as crazy as that sounds, he should be able to lead you to a national championship if you're Texas. Vince Young did. And at the time, Vince Young had that ultimate rating that has only been bested by Quinn Ewers, or at least matched by Quinn Ewers and now Arch Manning. Trevor Lawrence was asked about Arch Manning, and he said, quote, there's going to be a lot on his plate, but you have to show up ready to learn and grow. You're not going to be perfect from day one, but he is really talented, and he has a lot of abilities. He needs to carry that confidence over while knowing you do have to start over. You have to do that at every level. It's something I'm going through right now in the NFL. So you need to realize you're there for a reason, but you have to earn that respect from your teammates. He seems like a quarterback who will do great. Seems like good advice from Trevor. And Trevor knows a thing or two about coming into a program with lofty expectations. But I don't know if anybody has had greater expectations than Arch Manning will once he finally arrives on campus at Texas. And I think there's seven, at least seven reasons why. Right, in true football fashion, let me give you six for the touchdown, and then we'll throw an extra point in there as well at the end. I'll give you an extra point why. But number one, because clearly, uh, most obviously, he's considered uh, the top recruit at the position, really, of all time. Matched with Quinn Ewers and Vince Young for the best rating 24-7 sports has offered for a quarterback recruit since they started over 20 years ago. Number two reason why there's more pressure on Arch than really anybody is because of his family name, because he is a Manning, because his grandfather was an NFL quarterback and a pretty darn good one as well. He was just on terrible teams. And then Eli won a couple of Super Bowls, and Peyton won a couple of Super Bowls, and both probably will be Hall of Famers. Peyton, obviously, a Hall of Famer. Eli, because of the Super Bowl success, that'll probably be enough to get him into the Hall of Fame as well. And even his own father, Cooper Manning, was believed to be the most talented of the three, if not for a back injury that ended his career as a wide receiver before he could play in college. And now here comes Arch, right, with all of that, having to live in that shadow, like Michael Jordan's kids who never made it to the professional ranks. We'll see about Bronny James. But it's always tough when you grow up in that shadow and the expectations are that you will, at minimum, be as good as your family members. Problem is, those family members are Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Talk about setting the bar pretty high. Number three reason why there's more pressure on Arch Manning than anybody else that we've seen is because name, image, and likeness. Now, again, I don't know how big of a role this is going to play. But even when Trevor Lawrence went to Clemson, name, image, and likeness wasn't a thing. I imagine Arch is going to be getting a ton of money maybe once he arrives on Texas. He'll have ample opportunities for advertisements, for sponsorships. Everyone, I'm sure, will want to be in business with the Manning family. And then when you have money involved for, say, a 19-year-old kid who's playing in college for the first time, I think that only adds more pressure. When you have more people to please, and maybe they're in your ear, and even maybe more distractions. Look, Arch comes from we all believe to be a really good family and they know what they're doing when it comes to the quarterback position or, or playing in college or the NFL and having pressure and making a lot of money. So maybe the Manning family will try to curb 
any sort of name, image, likeness. But it, even if it plays a small role, it's a role that a lot of quarterbacks in the past did not have to worry about. Now the top quarterbacks do. Number four reason why Arch Manning has more pressure than really anybody else we've seen is because he's expected to be the savior for Texas. When Trevor Lawrence came to Clemson, he had to upkeep the standards. He had to keep up with what Clemson just accomplished with uh, Deshaun Watson. He had to try to get them back to winning another national championship. That is a lot of pressure. And we can have an argument. It'd be a pretty good debate about what brings more pressure, trying to fill the shoes of somebody who's already done it or trying to be the first one to do it in a long time. Right, Texas has been down for about 15 years. We've been wondering every year, is Texas finally back? And now the belief is, well, Arch Manning's going to get them back. And he better, right? If he doesn't, it's going to be a knock on Arch Manning. I think because of the expectations of what he's going to mean for Texas, that's the number four reason. Number five reason why there's more pressure on Arch Manning than anybody else that we've seen is because already they've added nine other recruits since Arch Manning's commitment. Guys want to go play with Arch. So now it's not just about Arch Manning, but it's about these other guys coming to play with him specifically and the amount of talent he's bringing into Texas. So now not only will the roster on paper be a lot better, but also a little bit of a pressure on these kids, on his teammates. They're like, hey, I came here to play with you, and you're not really not as good as we thought you'd be. Now you're not really helping me out. I thought if I was a wide receiver for Arch Manning, I'd become an NFL player. Right, when you're responsible for those other guys coming to come play with you, and they want to come play at Texas just to be with Arch Manning, and reportedly he's doing some recruiting himself and saying, come play with me, you, you become a little more responsible for those guys, a little more pressure on you. right? Like if you go out with your kid, it's one thing. You go camping with uh, just your child, all right, that's one thing. But if you're the only adult and you're going camping with 10 other kids, your child and all their friends, and now you're responsible for everyone else, you know, all the other parents' kids as well, you're the only adult out there camping with them, a little more pressure. You're a little more stressed. you got to make sure everybody's safe and they get home all in one piece and everybody's okay. Number six reason is because Texas will be joining the SEC. And so number one, it's the best conference in football. Things are only going to get harder for Texas. But then also the second part to that is because of the Manning family tradition in that conference and the need for Arch to potentially have to live up to Eli or Peyton and what they did in the SEC or even Archie. And then the extra point, the seventh point, why Arch Manning is dealing with more pressure than any other quarterback or recruit we've seen is because maybe Quinn Ewers. What if Quinn Ewers does play really well this year? He's the number one quarterback in his class. And then Arch Manning comes on campus, and it's like, well, Quinn Ewers was just a star here last year. And assuming Arch decides to continue to go to Texas and Quinn Ewers stays there and the two of them are there, now you have a little bit of a battle as well. If Quinn Ewers does not play well this year, if he bottoms out, if he appears to be a bust in his first season, right, then Arch Manning comes in and he's only viewed as even more of a savior. Uh, don't worry, we got Arch Manning coming along. But if Quinn Ewers plays really well this year, and say Texas does win the conference, now Arch comes along, it's like, oh, now i got to beat out this guy too. He looks pretty good in his first true year of playing college football. And if you, if you even also want to say the fact that Texas A&M uh, had the number one recruiting class of all time, that may not help Arch Manning either. The idea that Texas needs to keep up with Texas A&M. And that Texas fans can say, that's fine. You had the number one recruiting class of all time. We got Arch Manning over here. But if Arch doesn't quite pan out how you expect, right? you're putting all your eggs in his basket, uh, that wouldn't be so good either for Texas fans. So really, there's about eight reasons. We could probably come up with more. But eight reasons for why Arch Manning probably has more pressure on him than any other recruit we've ever seen, at least that I can recall in my lifetime. The amount of pressure that's on him because of his status as a recruit, his name, where he's going, what they hope to get out of him, 
the fact that they'll be joining the SEC, all of these reasons. Now, as I gave you the list yesterday just before we went off the air, if you do look at the top recruited quarterbacks of all time, um, pretty much they've all panned out in college. Right? Arch Manning is tied with Quinn Ewers and Vince Young. We haven't seen yet uh, Quinn Ewers. We haven't obviously seen Arch Manning yet. Vince Young, though, worked out pretty well. Then the next highest recruited quarterback was Trevor Lawrence. Worked out pretty well in college. Then you get to Justin Fields. Good college career. Brock Berlin, good college career. Didn't really pan out in the NFL. Terrell, Terrell, uh, Terrell Pryor, really good college career. That was then kind of uh, marred by the, the autograph scandal. Bryce Young, already won a Heisman. Then you get to Matt Barkley and Jimmy Clausen round out the top ten. And Matt Barkley was a good college quarterback until he came back for his senior year, stayed a little too long, had a disappointing senior year, and dropped in the draft. Led to the fourth round. But in college, he was pretty good, at least for those first three years. And Jimmy Clausen at Notre Dame wasn't great. He was one of those that many thought was overhyped, didn't quite pan out at Notre Dame. In fact, wasn't he showed up to something in a limo before he even got to Notre Dame? Uh, his commitment or some award. Uh, he came in on campus like the big man on campus. A lot of, a lot of people, did, you know, they weren't too fond of Jimmy. I knew people at the school at the time and didn't really like Jimmy Clausen on campus. He was decent. He was okay. But most of those other quarterbacks had pretty good college careers. So when you talk about the best quarterbacks of all time, really none of them were huge misses. None of them were huge busts. Maybe they weren't the best quarterback in football, but they're all pretty good. By the way, speaking of Trevor Lawrence, here was Trevor uh, in a press conference this week talking about Jacksonville. And uh, the first clip is talking about his new coach, Doug Peterson. No longer does he have to worry about uh, the circus that was Urban Meyer. He's got a Super Bowl-winning head coach. And here's Trevor talking about uh, working with Doug Peterson so far this offseason. It's been great. Just the way he interacts with the team, the way he leads, I think personality-wise, we're similar. You know, we get along well. Our demeanors are very similar. Um, so I've just enjoyed getting to know him and, and kind of picking his brain, just seeing how he thinks. And uh, it's been great. Obviously, he played quarterback he's won a super bowl as a player and as a coach um so you know he's he knows how to get there he knows how to do it and i think that's really important having a leader like that and just the energy he's brought to the building has been awesome and um, really building that trust of, of the team he's done a great job of trevor lawrence talking about the new coach doug peterson yeah certainly an upgrade over urban meyer doug's done it before he's won a super bowl before he played the position in the nfl he's developed young quarterbacks it's a big help for trevor lawrence heading into year two so, too, could potentially be the return of Travis Etienne, Trevor's former teammate. Here was Trevor talking about Etienne uh, getting back out in the field this year for Jacksonville. We um, had some, some tough injuries last year, and, you know, Travis is a guy I've played with now for three years in college and been on the same team this past year as well just to get to play together. And just knowing that that dynamic element that he can bring um, is going to help us a ton, that explosion. And we missed that last year. And then obviously James going down late in the year too really hurt us. So having both those guys back is going to be great for our offense. Um, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm just excited to see everything come together. Trevor Lawrence talking about Travis Etienne getting back out there. That could help too. They brought in a bunch of wide receivers this offseason. Brought in a couple of linemen, right? I think Jacksonville, look, how much better will they be? I don't know. They were pretty terrible last year. But I do think they are getting better and they're trying to help their young quarterback. That's the big difference. Chicago really hasn't done much to help their young quarterback. The Bears spent the second least amount of money in the league in uh, support staff for Justin Fields in terms of the roster, in weapons around Justin Fields. They spent the second least amount of money. Not great. The Jaguars, at least they're trying. They're bringing in guys. You get ETN back healthy. You know, they messed around with uh, Urban Meyer. That was not a great move for a rookie quarterback, but now you go get a Super Bowl-winning head coach. I don't know how much better Jackson will be with this year, but I do think they're at least trying to make things easier on their young quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, in year two.
and he certainly needs to play a lot better because last year he did not look good at all. Coming up, the latest in the whole Freddie Freeman saga. It's not ending. In fact, now we have word about potential lawsuits. It continues. We'll get to that when we come back. The latest in the whole Freddie Freeman agent debacle. The Morrow Midday Show, right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. It's always taste, taste, taste. You're happy when I'm on my knees. One day is fine and next is black. So if you want me off your back, well, come on and let me know. Should I stay or should I go? Coming up, the latest in the whole Freddie Freeman ordeal. We'll get to that here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Big trade pulled off in the NBA last night by the Atlanta Hawks. We'll touch on that coming up in a little bit. But elsewhere in Atlanta or formerly Atlanta or in the return to Atlanta this past weekend, we still have this Freddie Freeman story that has been lingering on, and it's been interesting to follow. Now, yesterday, Doug Gottlieb, who I do like, I'm a fan of Doug. I think he's really great. Uh, I think he's one of the best voices in uh, when it comes to breaking down basketball. He put out this tweet that said Casey Close, who's the agent for Freddie Freeman. I had said Scott Boris earlier this week. It, it was Casey Close. I was, um, I guess, misremembering. I remember playing audio a few months ago about free agents. We were playing Scott Boris audio. I don't remember who that was about then. I thought it was for Freddie. I guess not. But anyways, I misremembered from earlier. Casey Close was uh, Freeman's agent from, from day one until – this past weekend, and Casey's a longtime agent. He was Derek Jeter's agent, Jeter's entire career. So before people start, you know, jumping down his throat, thinking that Freddie had some bunk representation, uh, he was Jeter's only agent in Jeter's career. He is Clayton Kershaw's agent. He had Ryan Howard. He's been a longtime agent. Played in the the minors. Married a former Miss America, by the way. Um, Casey Close. He's doing okay. And I uh, had this big deal for Freddie Freeman. Also did Freeman's contract with the Braves, the extension in 2014, and currently is the agent for Dansby Swanson. And I think that's important because Dansby is about to become a free agent. So if Dansby uh, truly feels like uh, something's not on the up and up with his buddy Freddie, right, maybe he would want to make a move here before an important time for his baseball future, especially having a good year so far. And to this point, that has not occurred. But here is Gottlieb's, I guess you would call it a report. I don't know, it was just a tweet. Uh, But he tweeted yesterday, Casey Close never told Freddie Freeman about the Braves' final offer. That is why Freeman fired him. He found out in Atlanta this past weekend. It isn't that rare to have this happen in Major League Baseball, but it happened. Close knew Freddie would have taken the Atlanta deal. That was the, if you want to call it a report, that was the tweet from Doug Gottlieb yesterday. And again, I like Doug, so this isn't some sort of personal thing. I have a hard time buying this as being accurate. That Casey Close never told Freddie Freeman about the Braves' final offer. And that Casey drove Freddie to um, to L.A. theoretically for the money. Uh, I find it uh, hard to believe. Now, Doug's the only one with this report, so that's part of it too, right? Uh, they always say, um, like, you get a second source or you get somebody else to back it up. Once a second person reports it, okay, then maybe it's more likely. But when only one person has the story, maybe that's just what they were told. Maybe they got wrong information. Maybe that's what they believe. Who knows? But also, this would go against everything that the agent is supposed to do. This would not only be enough for um, Freddie Freeman to fire his agent, Casey Close, but this would be enough to uh, take him to uh, almost court or like a hearing with the Major League Baseball PA. This would be enough for Casey Close to lose his ability to represent anybody else in Major League Baseball. 
And I don't think a longtime agent would do that. Because as the agent, Casey Close has what they call an ob- obligation. Uh, it's, it's not the exact term, but an obligation to present the offer. You have to do what's, what's in the best interest of your client, your player. And if you kept that information from Freddie Freeman, as Doug is suggesting, that's, again, enough that not only would you uh, lose that client, Freddie fired him, but the Major League Baseball PA can make a decision that, hey, this guy can't represent us, any of our players moving forward. He could be barred from Major League Baseball. And there are uh, remedies available for Freddie Freeman if he would pursue them or not. Um, there are things in place that can be done because uh, of this idea, the suggestion. So anyways, long story short, I don't buy this report, this tweet, this idea that Casey Close left uh, uh, or kept this information away from Freddie Freeman. He just wouldn't do it. He's been an agent for a long time. He's smart enough to know it's not something that you can do, and it wouldn't be worth it. It wouldn't be worth it to then not only lose that client. That's fine. He doesn't care if he lost Freddie Freeman. He already got his 5%. But it wouldn't be worth it to lose your ability, almost your license in Major League Baseball, to represent any other players. It wouldn't be done. Now, Casey Close did respond, the agent who's been fired. Uh, he did respond, and his statement said, Doug Gottlieb tweeted a wholly inaccurate characterization of our negotiations with the Atlanta Braves on behalf of Freddie Freeman. We are immediately evaluating all legal options to address the reckless publication of inaccurate information. That's the statement from Casey Close coming in strong. We'll see if he actually does anything legally. If you want to talk about uh, you know Gottlieb slandering his name. He said he also said there is no truth whatsoever to what Do- Doug Gottlieb recklessly tweeted, and I would testify to that under oath, is what Casey Close said, the agent, in response. Yeah, I, I just find the whole thing uh, hard to believe, that Casey Close would keep information away from Freddie, would uh, essentially push him in a certain direction to L.A., thinking that either that's the best thing for him or it's a chance to make more money because L.A. was offering more money. I find that hard to believe. Freeman said um, he had learned a lot about what went on between Braves management and his agents during an offseason fractured by MLB's lockout. But he also said that he had a three-hour FaceTime conversation with Alex Anthopoulos, the GM of the Braves, the week after signing with the Dodgers. That gave him a better understanding of why things played out the way they did. So as Gottlieb was saying, Freeman found out this past weekend some information. According to this original report, Freeman FaceTime with Alex Anthopoulos a, a week after all this drama went down and learned some new information then. But I would imagine in the three-hour conversation with your former GM, that would probably come up. That Anthopoulos said, hey, we came to your – you never heard about our final offer? We came to your agent. He didn't tell you about it? I think over the course of a three-hour conversation, going through the play-by-play, that that would be mentioned. Freeman did say Tuesday, I've been gathering information. I've learned a lot because I've talked to the other side. You know, maybe the Braves did say something. Maybe somebody told him something over the weekend. He did fire his agent on Sunday. We got news of it, got wind of it on Tuesday. But he made the move on Sunday, getting rid of Casey Close. I just find that idea hard to believe that Casey was intentionally keeping information away from his client because that goes against, against the rules, the regulations. And it's, that's enough to cost you your opportunity to work with Major League Baseball. And to my knowledge, I think all of Casey Close's clients are in Major League Baseball. That's, that's a death wish. You would, lose all, you would lose your career. You would lose your clients. I don't think he's doing that, keeping that information from Freddie. And he also already knew that Freddie told him you know, he wanted to be in Atlanta from what we've, what we've been told, what has been reported. So it also would not be acting in the best interest of your client either. With all that said, I do think a lot of this is just trying to you know, pass the buck off. 
Uh, Freddie had the opportunity. Atlanta offered him. We had the audio from Chipper Jones. Chipper warned Freddie Freeman that this is exactly how things would play out, and what do you know? A guy who's been through it before warned Freddie, and he was exactly right. This is how things played out. When Freddie turned down the initial offer from Atlanta for five years, $135 million. Chipper Jones warned him, right? You're playing a dangerous game. So I still fault Freddie more than anybody. You had the initial opportunity to sign that deal with Atlanta. You still didn't do it. And if Freddie did hire uh, an agent who doesn't know what he's doing, I still hold Freddie responsible. He's working for you. And if Freddie is so close to the Braves, why didn't he have any conversations with Alex Anthopoulos throughout the whole process to try to figure this whole thing out? So I think a lot of this is trying to pass the responsibility off to the agent. Maybe the agent didn't do his best job, but I don't think he did as bad of a job as some people are trying to set him up to appear. And I don't think he did something that would strip him from all of his clients in Major League Baseball. I don't think he's that dumb to get a couple extra million dollars. It'd be smarter to then keep all of his clients and get money from them moving forward and keep his career. I don't believe that report from Doug Gottlieb yesterday. I don't think that's true. We'll wrap up hour one when we come back. I have a few more thoughts on this on why this may actually be the best thing for Olsen. And also, uh, Clayton Kershaw uh, made some comments about uh, Freddie Freeman. We'll get to that. It's more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Wrapping up hour one of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We were talking about Freddie Freeman last segment. Doug Gottlieb had a tweet yesterday. He, uh, of course, if you're not familiar, works for Fox Sports, has his own radio show over there, covers uh, basketball. But he had tweeted out this idea that uh, Casey Close did not disclose all the information of Freddie Freeman in the offseason negotiations and was doing his job as the agent to kind of direct Freddie Freeman to L.A. Theoretically, I would assume because L.A. was offering more money, and then as an agent, you'd get more money. I guess that'd be my thought. Or maybe he thought he was doing the best thing for his client, even though I'm sure Freddie made it clear that he would like to return to Atlanta. Although that's what we're led to believe, but we also know how important it was for Freddie to try to get that sixth year, which is why he didn't sign with Atlanta in the first place. And also why I can't absolve Freddie of all responsibility in this. I thought Ken Rosenthal put it pretty well in The Athletic this morning when he said, who was running the show here anyway? Freeman doesn't work for XL. The agency works for him. And it's Freeman's fault more than anyone else's if he did not end up exactly where he wanted. And I think that's a good point. Now, with all that said, maybe this was all the best thing for Matt Olson. what has happened over the past week here at Freddie Freeman. We'll get to that coming up. Plus, the Atlanta Hawks made a big trade last night. We'll get to that as well. Plenty more to do throughout this Thursday. Hour 2 coming up next. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Back, 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 back again. Shady's back, back, back. 
Tell a friend, friend, friend. Guess who's back? 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 Second hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Elena Hawks made a nice uh, trade last night. We'll get to that coming up. Plus, later on in the afternoon, talk more about the uh, about NBA free agency with that still ongoing. Brooks Kepka speaking out about uh, his move to live golf. We'll get to that. Get you ready for your July 4th holiday. And we have to do our persona non grata of the week today because I won't be with you tomorrow. And I won't be with you next week either. Taking time off for the holiday. Hope you have a great July 4th weekend. Hopefully a long weekend for you. Maybe a long week. And we'll catch up. I'll catch up with you again on July 11th, 7-11. Following next week. Still more to do the next couple of hours in the meantime. And we'll get to that Hawks trade in just a moment. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston. However, you listen to your podcast. And the podcasts are also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Head over there and click on our show page. And there you'll see the podcast. You also have an opportunity to reach out to the show by heading over to charlestonsportsradio.com and clicking on our show page. Get to us on Twitter at Moro Middays. Text the show, 843-608-1734. Or you can always join the conversation on the phones, 843-721-9500. Um, by the way, there is nothing. I wear uh, an Apple Watch, and I've always said, like, I don't really know what I'm doing with this thing. It's just pretty much to track my steps and my uh, my progress throughout the day in terms of how many calories you burn and, you know, how many steps you take and all that sort of stuff. And so on my fitness rings, one of the other things is that they they want you to stand for parts of, like, 12 hours or stand 12 times a day. There's nothing, like, more condescending that when you happen to get up and you don't even do it intentionally, I got up during the commercial break, went and grabbed some water, and you get the notification on your Apple Watch that says, like, congrats, you did it. You stood up. That's, like, one of the most condescending things that happens in my day-to-day life. My Apple Watch congratulating me just for standing up. Thank you. I'm glad I'm still able to do that. I could stand up okay and walk to go get some water. Does it tell you to breathe as well? I had an older uh, older model, and it, it would uh, alert me when I hadn't taken enough breaths, and so I would have to do like 10 deep breaths. Yeah, but that one's good. I like yeah, that. Yeah, I like it, yeah. Yeah, sometimes, or if you get really worked up, like if I'm doing a broadcast, sure, doing a Citadel football game, and it's an exciting moment, yeah, my Apple Watch will tell me, like, uh, whatever. Do your mindful breathing. <laughs> no, I'm in the middle of a game, but at least it's looking out for you. But the one, whenever I stand up, if I'm sitting, and I'm sitting here talking on the radio, so I sit for a while, then I happen to stand up after like an hour. And it's like, congrats, you did it. You stood up. I'm like, thanks. I feel so accomplished today. I stood up out of my chair. I know some older folks that have them, and uh, they have, you know, in case they fall or anything, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll alert. But sometimes we, I was at dinner with somebody who had one, and uh, he just, like, bumped his arm into the table. Yeah. And uh, it was during a quiet moment uh, at the dinner, and uh, immediately starts going off. Have you fallen? Have you fallen? Nine one one on the way, and it was you know everybody was holding hands and everything like that. So it was that's it was very funny. funny. That that's one of the downsides to the Apple Watch. Yeah, sometimes if I'm just talking on the air, I can't say her name, but the uh, AI of your iPhone will perk up. <laughs> like what? What I missed that? What did you say? I'm not talking to you. So yeah, some of the the cons to the technology, but. 
Hey, I like that. I can uh, track my steps on this thing. That's good. That's all it's good for. Hey, I love this trade for the Atlanta Hawks last night, right? The NBA free agency is off and rolling, and then we got a big trade last night where the Hawks traded a bunch of draft picks to the San Antonio Spurs and got uh, Deontay Murray back from the Spurs, all-star guard who's only uh, like 25 years old. Love this trade for the Hawks. Could be, could be the best move of the offseason. I'll say that now. We'll see where Bradley Beal goes. He just opted out yesterday with the Wizards. But it's not a great free agent crop. James Harden opted out, but that's believed to actually help save some money for the Sixers in a surprising twist. And he's believed to re-sign with Philly. Kyrie obviously opted in. Russell Westbrook opted in. There's not a lot of big names out there. And we didn't really know that this was going to be a name either. But a nice trade pulled off by the Atlanta Hawks. Now, they did give up, was it, four draft picks in the process to get Murray? But I think that's all worthwhile. Here was uh, Woj was on um, ESPN earlier and explaining this trade for the Hawks that they pulled off with the Spurs, getting Murray from San Antonio for a bunch of draft picks. Here was Woj. Now, this has been a Hawks organization, I think as much as any in the league, that was just determined that they were going to make changes, they were going to get better. They gave up a lot. Three first-round picks, two of their own, uh, one they have uh, via Charlotte, and also a pick swap in 2026 with San Antonio. But uh, Trey Young was really excited about getting DeJounte Murray in, and this is a group that, listen, they want to be improved. He'll improve them certainly on both sides of the ball. Uh, But Atlanta, listen, they're not done dealing yet. They still have been engaged on John Collins, and you know I think fundamentally there's going to be some real – uh, there are going to be some more changes in Atlanta, but they're pretty excited about the idea of DeJounte Murray joining mm. Trey Young. Yeah, and they should be pretty excited. Now, they do need Murray to re-sign. He has two years left on his contract, right? So if you do all this for only two years of Murray, maybe not great. You'd like to get him to re-sign and keep him there longer. But he's just coming off an all-star game appearance. He's an all-star, and he's gotten better. If you look at his numbers, he's gotten better every year in the league, and he's still young. And now you get two good guards to run this team. And if you look at the East, the Hawks may have the best combination of guards on the perimeter. They may have the best perimeter players, one-two punch, in the Eastern Conference. I mean, they have two guys that have at least been the, to the All-Star game in Murray and Trey Young. No one else can really say that. The Bucks have a couple of guys, if you want to include Chris Middleton, but he's really more of like a small forward. But him and Drew Holiday have both been to an All-Star game before. Otherwise, like Kyrie and Seth Curry, I wouldn't necessarily include Kevin Durant. I would not consider him a point guard or a shooting guard. James Harden and and Maxey, even Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, they're up there. These are all duos that are in the conversation in the Eastern Conference. The Hawks are joining that conversation. Now, just last week, the Hawks promoted Landry Fields, their GM, who's only like 34 years old, played in the NBA, injuries ended his career. Before he came to the Hawks, he was with the Spurs, and he was part of the reason he helped the Spurs draft Murray. So you know he likes him. You know he has that connection. You know, theoretically, he knows Murray pretty well. Just got him off San, from, uh, from San Antonio. And this helps get Trey Young off the ball is the idea. Trey Young's a bit of a blessing and a curse, right? He's great for the Hawks. Probably the best thing they have going for him. But he also can be a problem for the Hawks. He's not great on defense. When the ball's on his hands, kind of checks out at times. And the ball's probably in his hands too often. Probably tries to do a little too much. A little too much one-man band. So with this move now, you can get Trey Young off the ball. And Trey Young's own father tweeted out the idea of getting Trey off the ball and how that could be better for Trey. I think so. I think it could be better for the Hawks. Get the ball out of his hands a little bit more. Get him more engaged when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Play off of Murray. I love this trade for the Hawks. I like this idea of bringing these two in. 
and now you have two All-Stars out on the perimeter. Travis Schlenk runs the Hawks. He was promoted to team president, whatever it is. He came over from the Warriors. I'm not telling you these two are going to be the next Splash Brothers. I'm not saying that. But when Schlenk was uh, with Golden State, right, you get uh, um, Clay Thompson, you get Steph Curry, and you have two stars out on the perimeter leading the way to championships. Now the Hawks have two young guys as well that's somewhat similar. Not as good as shooters. Probably not even as good on the defensive end. Won't win as many championships, but it's a similar build, a similar blueprint to have these two guys out on the perimeter, kind of like what you did in Golden State. And in the process, Atlanta was able to keep John Collins as well. So now you could keep, if you want, keep John Collins to have some size inside. I thought they were going to have to trade John Collins for Murray. Instead, they just gave up Gallinari, which is pretty much a salary dump, and they get Murray back. So now you have Trey Young and Murray out on the perimeter and John Collins on the inside. But if you're concerned about draft picks, you could still flip Collins to get some of those draft picks back. I would say when it comes to the draft picks, right, because they gave up a lot in draft capital, there's an NFL GM who would tell you, F those picks. And if you're the Hawks, you're hope they're all picks in the 20s anyways because you want to be in the playoffs. So I'll trade draft picks for an all-star. This is what I've always said, especially in baseball. Teams won't trade prospects for a known commodity or like a Cy Young candidate or an all-star. You have no idea what that prospect's going to be. Same idea. You don't know what these draft picks are going to be, but you know you're getting an all-star back for the Spurs. If I'm the Hawks, give up those draft picks, especially in the NBA. It's a little bit of a crapshoot. I mean, all drafts are especially in the NBA where usually these drafts are about three or four uh, player drafts. And then the rest is just like, you know, who knows? Flip a coin. Who saw Steph Curry being the best player? You know, with Draymond Green, which you were getting there in the second round, or Jokic in the second round. Bunch of these guys. That pop that you don't really see coming. So the draft picks, giving those up, I'm not really worried about from the Hawks. And if you want some draft picks back, I'll just trade John Collins because we know Collins and Trey Young do not like each other. And that's known. So if you want, flip Collins now, get those draft picks back, and it's all a wash. And you essentially traded Collins for Murray, and I think that's a fine deal. I like this move for the Hawks. Now for the Spurs, if you're an NBA fan, you may be wondering, what are the Spurs doing? Giving up a 25-year-old All-Star, they got nothing else. Well, the Spurs were the original tankers, and they did it for Tim Duncan, and that worked out pretty well, and I imagine that's the same idea here. Because, you know, the Spurs, people always say Pat Riley, Ruined the NBA in the 90s because his teams were uh, very physical, like the Knicks in the early 90s. It was his idea to, to become a very physical team. And then basketball moved from kind of like a ballet where, you know, you didn't really have your hands on one another. So now it's a very, uh, or at least it was. It's not as physical now, but it's still more physical now than it was back in the 70s or the 60s or the 50s or whatever it may have been. You know, Pat Riley kind of started that whole change. Uh, maybe you credit the bad boy Pistons as well, Chuck Daly. But, you know, they were the guys that really brought the physicality aggressiveness to the basketball court. And so people always hold that against Pat. Like, Pat Riley ruined the NBA. I think Greg Popovich has also played a pretty big role in bringing some of the things to the league that you don't like. Load management was started by the Spurs. And I think that's maybe the biggest issue in the NBA now. Tanking? The Spurs are kind of the originators. They tanked for Tim Duncan 25 years ago. David Robinson got injured, and they said, all right, our star's injured. We don't have much else. You got this Tim Duncan kid coming out. Popovich fired the coach, made himself the head coach, and they won 15 games that year and drafted Tim Duncan first overall. The Spurs, that was back in the 90s. They were like the original tankers. And now I think they're doing it again to get the next phenom. You're going to hear, if you're a basketball fan, you're going to hear a lot about this name over the, the next year if you haven't already. And by the time we get to the draft next year, we'll probably all have a better idea of how to pronounce it. His first name's Victor. That's the easy part. And I think his last name is Wembayama, which is a pretty cool name. 
I think it's Victor Wembayama. He's an 18-year-old in France. And go watch the videos online if you haven't seen him yet. He's 7'3", 230 pounds. Similar to a Chet Holmgren. If you watch him, he looks a little bit like Chet Holmgren, who just went number two in the draft. Really tall, really thin. Almost looks like a creation. Like, he doesn't look real. Looks like you're watching a movie. So tall, skinny, and lanky. But he's got a skill set that's more reminiscent of, like, uh, Kevin Durant at 7'3", 230. I'm not telling you it's going to be the next Kevin Durant. But he's got that similar style that if you watch him, he looks more like a Durant than he does, I don't know, a Yao Ming or some sort of big guy. He plays out in the perimeter. He shoots it. He's athletic. 7'3", 18 years old, in France, 230 pounds. His mother played professional basketball. His sister plays professional basketball. And everybody's excited about him. He's similar to Chet Holmgren. Look, neither one's played in the NBA yet. This kid's 18. He's playing internationally. It's hard to judge. Just watching their highlights, I'd be more excited about Wembayama than I would Chet. Also, they faced off against one another last year in the finals of the FIBA World Cup. Last summer, Chet Holmgren had 10 points and 2 rebounds and shot 3 of 8. Victor Wembayama had 22 points, 8 rebounds, and 8 blocks in 27 minutes. And France lost by 2 to the U.S. in the finals. And he's a year younger than Holmgren. Holmgren's in the NBA right now. Wembayama has to wait another year. When those two played each other last summer... Granted, before Holmgren even played at Gonzaga, he was coming out of high school. Wembayama, you know, at the time was like 17 years old in France. Wembayama was the much better player. People think he could be the next Giannis, except even bigger. Maybe a Kevin Durant, a Porzingis. A lot of people are excited about Wembayama, and that's the next big name. And the Spurs seem to be tanking for him in next year's draft because he's supposed to be this next unicorn, the next star of basketball moving forward. So if you're the Spurs and you're wondering, why are they giving up this 25-year-old All-Star? I think they're going all in on Wembyama. He's supposed to be the next phenom. And you're going to hear a lot about him over the next 12 months if you haven't already. Go look up his highlights. Pretty wild. Trent, have you ever seen any, uh, anything from this Victor Wembyama? Yeah, he's exciting. There, there's no doubt about it. A guy of that size, a 7'3", and it can move the way he does, especially with the ball. I think that's incredibly impressive. Yeah, I mean, any tall, skinny guy who can shoot on the perimeter, we're going to compare to Kevin Durant, obviously. Now, you've talked about it. I talk, I hate the comparisons with Kevin Durant. It's like that guy's one of the greatest scorers we've ever seen. I think we need to stop comparing these young guys to them. But I do see a lot of those traits where, hey, he can move off the ball, he's got good handles, and he's a great defender. So whatever team is going to be number one, so let's just run through them real quick, the Thunder, the Pistons, the Kings, whoever it's going to be is going to be very happy when they get this guy. Yeah, he's going to be exciting. Is he going to work out? Is he going to be a star in the NBA? I don't know. He's obviously going to have to bulk up. But he's exciting right now to think about this 18-year-old and what his future could bring. All these guys need to bulk up. Every yeah, every true. single one of them that's coming in super skinny. Kevin Durant's the outlier, obviously, yeah. because he plays like he's 220 pounds. If you don't play like that, you're a little timid, yeah, good luck. That's all I got to say, Chet, uh, you know, with your comments, <laughs> that you'd be the best player in the NBA. Good luck when you're uh, going one-on-one with Joel Embiid, pal. Just just throwing that out there. Yeah. Look, I don't want to buy into the hype. Wemba Yamba's playing in France. Holmgren hasn't even played in the NBA yet, but if we're forecasting the future, it's just watching the little highlight tapes and watching Holmgren in college, I'd be more excited about Wemba Yamba. I feel better about his game moving forward than Chet Holmgren. And Wemba Yamba, like I said, you watch these videos, they almost look fake. He's dunk. He's just he's seven three, and so he's tall and he's lanky and he's got such a long reach. He's dunking from like the block. He just reaches out and like it's like a freak of nature, and I mean that in the best way possible. These blocks that he gets, it's crazy. Now he's very very thin. But he's seven three. He's athletic, and the concern, of course, which we'll never, we won't know until we get to uh, the future. But you know, you always worry about like their legs, their knees. That's what happened with Porzingis has had knee issues. Right, seven three, and you're an, an athletic seven three running up and down the floor and jumping with that size, always leads to lower body issues. We'll see about Wembayama, but 
Everybody in the basketball world, now that we've turned our attention to next year's draft, they're very excited about this kid, and I think the Spurs are trying to go all in on him. Meanwhile, while I think the Hawks have so far won the offseason, the Hornets are probably losing the offseason. Did not have a head coach in time for the draft, and then they've had some sort of issues where Montrez Harrell got arrested because of uh, having a bunch of weed in the car, and last night, Miles Bridges was arrested for felony domestic violence after an alleged physical altercation with a woman. Not great for Michael Jordan and the Charlotte Hornets right now. Their offseason has been a bit of a disaster. So that's the latest there in Charlotte. Another player arrested, and they rehired their former head coach this offseason as well. Not going great in Charlotte. When we come back, a couple of other uh, notes to get to at NBA Free Agency coming up, and we'll play a little bit of a game as well. More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today. Due to lack of hustle, deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show. Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Talking about uh, the big trade for the Atlanta Hawks. Big fan. I think it's a good move by the Hawks. I think they're the big winners right now so far of the offseason that's just getting started. Now, how about James Harden opting out with the Sixers to then re-sign at a lower price to save a little money? Maybe we had Harden all wrong. Maybe the uh, supposed fat suit was really just to get out of Houston and go to a better team. Maybe he is all about winning. Maybe now he's willing to take less money to help the Sixers build a better roster so they can win. I don't know. I was surprised to see that news. Maybe it's just James Harden helping out his buddy, Daryl Morey, the GM who has loved him more than anybody else seemingly has loved James. But I found that interesting. Meanwhile, Kyrie Irving, of course, opted in. And Chris Carlin on ESPN has been saying all week that Kyrie Irving's a lot like Kanye West. The two are very similar. So I figured we'd put this theory to the test. And we're also going to put Trent to the test. And I have a series of quotes here from either Kyrie Irving or Kanye West and Trent, it'll be on you to figure out which one of those two said each line. This might be the, my favorite game we've ever played. <laughs> so let's give it a try. Who said it, Kyrie Irving or Kanye West? All right. Number one. I am a proud non-reader of books. Who said it, Kyrie Irving or Kanye West? Proud non-reader of books, I'd probably have to go with uh, Kyrie Irving. Uh, oh, no. Kanye? Kanye West is very proud that he does not read books. Well, Kanye, maybe it's be proud of something else. <laughs> How about this one? Multiple Bentleys isn't making anybody financially set. Kanye. That's Kyrie? Oh, for two. Ah, Mr. Geez. It's not all about the money, Kyrie Irving. <laughs> Multiple Bentleys isn't making anybody financially set. Just opted in for 37 mil with the Nets. Number three. I hate it when I'm on a flight and I wake up with a water bottle next to me. Oh, great. Now I have to be responsible for this water bottle. That's Kanye West, right? <laughs> yeah, that has to be Kanye. First of all, by the way, Kanye. You fly private, bud, so you're not waking up with a, a small Dasani water after you took a snooze on the flight. It doesn't, I don't even get it. It makes no sense. <laughs> Why would you then be responsible for the water bottle? What does that even mean? Number four. 
Is the internet real for you in your life? Kyrie. Wow, very good. Okay, yeah, that's definitely a Kyrie. Next one. I love this. may be my favorite one. <laughs> I wish they'd make a new Grease. That's that's Kanye. Oh. No, that's Kyrie. Kyrie apparently is a big fan of Grease. Is he? He's a John Travolta yeah, guy. He loves Travolta. I'm, I'm liking Kyrie now. Yeah. <laughs> wants a new, wants a Grease, an, another one. Oh, wait. Are these tweets or like something that has just been said by these these people? Probably uh, a mixture of both. Yeah, mostly Twitter, but okay. uh, but just said in general. Some of these are from like <laughs> interviews and such. Um. Okay, next one. Did Kanye or Kyrie say it? I have like nuclear power. Like a superhero. Like Cyclops when he puts his glasses on. That's Kanye West. That's Kanye West wholeheartedly. I mean, the guy calls himself yay. I mean, what are we doing? I have been musically inclined since I picked up an interest in instruments in fourth grade. I think I think you're trying to throw me off here. Is that Kyrie? It is Kyrie. Oh, there it is. Very good. That He's going to turn into Antonio Brown. Just be performing yeah. at Lollapalooza. That's right. <laughs> that one is too, like, normal yeah. to be Kanye. He said, I, music, I've been musically inclined since I picked up an interest in instruments in the fourth grade. Kanye would have something else, uh, some other way to say it. Just imagine if I woke up one day and I was whack. What would I do then? Kanye. It's yeah, Kanye. it's got to be Kanye. Imagine that. Who? Oh, waking up whack. That would be terrible. <laughs> oh, I love these guys. <laughs> the age of no more secrets is upon us. Who said that? Kyrie. Very yeah, good. activists. Yeah, Kyrie. There, there's no doubt about it. I, you know, Luke. This might be a game where people will hate these guys. I'm starting to love these guys even come more. Come around on them, <laughs> Kanye and Kyrie. Whoa, Arby's has hamburgers now. Next, you're gonna tell me the milkshake machines at McDonald's are working. <laughs> Is that Kyrie? It's Kanye. No, it's a trick question. That's Bobby Harton. <laughs> what a tweet! What a tweet by Bobby. Adam boy. Yeah. They already <laughs> sold out of those burgers at Arby's, too. All right, next one. I love sleep. It's my favorite. Kanye. That is Kanye. Yeah, he's a big sleeper, apparently. Hey, I love sleep, too. Yeah. My intellect is everything I'm awake to. Oh, that's uh, Kyrie. Very good. Yeah. All right, we're getting on a roll. He's a woke king. <laughs> Speaking of which, I have one. Uh, where is that? I'll save that for later. I think I got another one about being woke. Uh, next line. I'm a robot. You cannot defend a robot. Uh, Kyrie? Oh. Bit of a trick question. Yeah, yeah. Kanye said that. Yeah, I guess. You know, Kanye is. I mean, he's a, he's definitely a robot. There's I, no doubt. I can see a basketball player saying that, though. Yeah, no doubt. I'm a robot. You can't defend a robot. Uh, next one. I don't think Chris, I don't think of Christmas as a holiday. Kyrie. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that made a little bit of waves when he said that. Yeah. A couple more. Did Kyrie say it or Kanye? I can analyze people's intentions immediately. That's just a warning to everybody. Kanye. Yep. That's a, that's a big Kanye guy. Keep your nose. Uh, let me see. Keep your nose to the sky. Keep your heart to God and keep your face to the rising sun. Man, that's tough. I would have to say I'm going to go Kanye again. Did Very good. That? Yeah, it is Kanye. Kanye. The Sunday service thing and everything that makes that makes a lot of sense. I am flawed as a human. I am flawed as a man. As a person, I am flawed. I'm going to have to say, is that another Kanye? It is another yeah, Kanye. There we, go. there we go. Very good. I do not get baseball players' infatuation with the porn mustache. I really do not. Who said that? <laughs> Kyrie. Bobby Harton. Bobby Harton. Okay. <laughs> couple, <laughs> couple more. 
if you're very much woke, there's no such thing as distractions. Kyrie or Kanye? Kyrie. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> Bobby. <laughs> Justice could be clearing a path for people to dream properly. Kyrie. Oh, Kanye. Oh, that's Kanye. Okay. The only thing I command is respect. Kanye? Uh, let's see. That is Kyrie. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I mean, he does like the respect. I think he meant the only thing I demand is respect, right? The only thing I command is respect? I don't know. <laughs> uh, last one I have here. Is the get-in-the-hole guy the biggest douche in sports? That's Bobby Harden. <laughs> Very good. That's Bobby Harden right Bobby there. Harden. That's That's right. A, that one got a good bit of retweets. I know that one. <laughs> Very good. Who said it? Kanye? Kyrie or evidently Bobby Harton. They're all three on the same level, by the way. Uh, absolutely. All of them are on the same level. Our, the great <laughs> philosophers of our lives. There you go. Kyrie, I guess, really very much is like Kanye West with the things that they say. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're both very, uh, very outspoken. I don't know how to describe those two gents, but uh, they are they're out there. That's a good way to put it. And and now, were you a Kanye West music fan? Like, maybe, I would say, College Dropout Yo, 2004, yes. and then uh, the Heartbreak album 2008. Ever since, it's just been like, all right. But those two albums took over the world. For, oh, my gosh. There was an eight-year span there when Kanye West was the biggest thing. Absolutely. I only liked that first album, and then I really didn't pay attention afterwards. Oh, there's some, there's some heat on the Heartbreak yeah? album. Oh, yeah. I mean, after, college dropout is fantastic. Yeah. And I haven't listened to very much rap or hip hop probably since that album. But that was in my wheelhouse. Around that time, I was really into the rap, hip hop, R&B of that era, like late 90s into the early 2000s. And yeah, when that album came out, as you said, that was a big deal because nobody knew who Kanye, he was like a producer before that, right? Nobody knew who he was. Yeah, he was, he was just a music producer. Oh. And apparently, like, he was making beats for uh, Dr. Dre at one point, And then he just went into the studio and Dre was like, Make an album right now. Do oh, it. Yeah. yeah, College Rap was great. Even I love that one. I still, I, Every once in a while, I'll go back to it. All Falls Down is a tremendous song. Yeah, big fan of that album. Jamie Foxx on that thing, too. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no, I certainly have not paid any attention to uh, his later stuff in no. recent years. No, I Am God is one of them. Uh, Yeezus is another one. Yeah, those albums kind of went downhill, but the, the first two that he ever put out were incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Kanye and Kyrie. There you go. Um, coming up, we'll get to trend stakes. We do it around this time each and every day, and we'll do it when we come back. Did pretty well. Did pretty well in that game. You got in a good flow there? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of easy, uh, easier to uh, kind of depict which one was saying which, but they do sound very similar, both yeah. of them. Yeah, they, they do. We'll get to trend stakes next. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. Last segment played uh, Kanye or Kyrie. Who said it? And Trent did pretty, pretty well, which leads us to this, because we do this around uh, this time each and every day. But time now for Trent's Takes. 
What's on the mind of the Morrow Midday Show producer? Draft Luke Morrow. That's okay. right. It's time for Trent's Takes. The Radio Cowboy will be coming, and he's coming soon, folks. Luke, I know uh, as far as your beer selection goes, you are a big uh, Modelo guy. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, okay, so um, I was thinking about it this morning because one of the best commercials in the game right now is a Modelo commercial. I always enjoy it. They always tell a pretty good story. The tattoo artist, there's been a couple of guys. So I wanted to ask you, if you could be in any commercial, commercial ever what would you be in for what brand i would say personally there's nothing cooler than you know the long form nike commercials where you know everybody's running around with odell and everything so i would probably choose nike because i love the brand as well who would you choose to be in a commercial with so that's a great one so i was thinking of back to like my childhood the commercials i love okay i was going to say a specific commercial was the old i think it was bud light was the like the what's up commercial oh yeah I used to pick up the phone and call what's up but now that you said Nike, that reminded me of an old commercial. I believe it was Nike with the dribbling. They make a beat out of dribbling a basketball, mm-hmm. and it was like a black and white commercial. I think that was Nike. That one specifically. So not just the brand, but that's spe- I would be in that commercial uh, doing some and one dribbling moves uh, to like a rap beat. Okay. So that's what I would say. Yeah, I also was thinking about the uh, you know the NBA when they do the Christmas Day and all the guys are uh, shooting yeah. uh, and they're making the uh, the jingle bells and yeah, everything that's like a good that. One. That'd be a good one. You know, if I can keep up with those fellas as far <laughs> as shooting wise goes, I, I would do it. Well, I'm, I'm not much of a dribbler either, but you know it's Hollywood, so they can make me look good. Yeah, that's yeah. my thought. Exactly. And uh, also, I was thinking about saw this on Twitter this morning. In my personal opinion, I love celebrations in sports. Love bat flips. Love fist pumps. Everything like that. Uh, is tight is the tiger fist bump uh, fist pump excuse me the best celebration in sports like as far as history goes or can you think of any other one that's just so iconic the most iconic moments in golf are tiger woods in the red fist pumping after a massive shot do you do you think of anything other that uh, that kind of strikes your mind a little bit the only one right immediately off the top of my head maybe two that i think of now that i'm actually spending a moment mm-hmm. thinking kurt gibson hits the home run he does his own little fist pump twice sure by down by his hip with his uh, balky knees as he rounds the bases after hitting that homer in the uh, 88 uh, World Series. And then the only other one was, now I'm trying to, I think it was Jordan. Jordan makes a shot and runs down to the other end and does like a series of fist pumps in the air. Yeah, yeah, he jumped up and, and did this. Yeah, did yeah, the jump. Exactly. That's probably the only other one. I'm trying, I think those are the, probably the only two. And then, yeah, Tiger does come to mind. I can picture Tiger Woods like multiple times in red. <laughs> pumping violently in the air so those are probably the first three that i think of yeah no doubt i i I always thought tiger was the best i also was thinking about a couple other ones but they don't really they're not on par the biggest moments i was thinking about the kobe point you know how he always used to point Uh after he um after he you know makes a shot and i think now we can kind of start talking about steph curry either counting on his fingers one two three and then four if he gets fouled from the three-point line or the Steph Curry shimmy. I mean, there That's might true. there might not be anything better than when Steph hits a 35-footer and just shimmies down the court and then gets right back on defense. I that's think that's true. the coolest thing ever. When it comes to the shimmy, I also think Antoine Walker used to do the shimmy with the Celtics. Um, that was almost like more – you almost laugh at him instead of celebrating <laughs> with him. And then the other one I just thought of, because we used to love this when we were growing up, Reggie Miller. And I had to look up the exact moment, but I guess it was a game winner against the Bulls in the 98 playoffs. But he hits the shot – and he runs down to the other end, but he starts doing this. He's spinning. He's doing like 360s in the air. He's so happy. He's jumping up and down and spinning and is just like twirling because he's so excited. 
That's one that uh, growing up we always used to joke around about and love from Reggie Miller, and I, I guess it was '98. Yeah, growing up for me, when uh, anytime Dwayne Wade for the Heat would uh, jump onto the uh, announcer's booth and get mm-hmm. the crowd going, that was always my favorite thing in the world. And he did a little cabbage patch around the uh, anytime <laughs> he'd hit a big shot and there was a timeout, he'd do a little cabbage patch. Uh, that's why I absolutely love uh, Dwayne Wade, Luke. Sound the alarms. We have some serious odds movement when it comes to the Cleveland Browns. So within the last 48 hours, the odds for the Cleveland Browns that uh, to win the AFC North were at plus 250. Now they were at plus 190, went to plus 270, now at plus 250. I checked this morning, Luke, and the, and the uh, Browns right now have a plus 320 to win the AFC North. And obviously the last team is uh, the Steelers at plus 700, but this is significant odds movement for the Browns. What do the odds makers know? It seems like they're kind of preparing for a potential, you know, year-long suspension even more. And I would also point out, I mentioned to you a couple days ago on Trent's takes about the 10-plus uh, wins as far as the NFL season goes. The Browns were minus 195 to win 10 games. Right now, plus 120 Ooh. to win 10 games. So the odds makers may know something that we don't as of right now because I believe the hearings are still going on today. Now, there's no timeline on when we will get an actual answer from uh, the judge, Sue L. Robinson. But right now, the odds makers make it seem like when these continue to climb like this, and it was weird because last week it was at plus 270, went down to plus 250, and after the news we heard yesterday about there might be potential six to eight games, I thought that it might go down even more, but instead, after that report, it went up. So I don't know what the sports books know, but this is something we should monitor incredibly closely, continuing before we actually know the suspension. I'm with you. I always say it, right? For those that are listening, say, who cares about Vegas? I don't gamble. It's not even about gambling. It's about reading the market. Uh, Woj got the first pick wrong in the NBA draft. You know who got it right? Vegas. They knew it. Um, so always monitor the lines in Vegas because these people, they're building casinos for a reason. They know what they're doing. So it's always interesting to see what they believe, and uh, they're moving it in the wrong direction for Browns fans. I could see this hearing dragging out and taking mm-hmm. a while, but I could also see it's July 4th weekend coming up. People are going to be off the next couple of days, and the NFL does like a classic news dump tomorrow at like 6 o'clock. Yep. And then most people like Steve and I, whoever, are not back until Tuesday, you know, four days later, and by then we have – Ten other storylines going on in sports. So I could see this dragging on, but also part of me thinks we may get some news here in the next, like, 48 hours of what the punishment's going to be so that the NFL could try to bury this whole thing. Right. Adam Schefter made it seem like yesterday in a tweet that would go on past this weekend. Mm-hmm. But like you just said, the NFL loves doing this right here. Just, you know, Friday news dump, nothing going on. Let's drop it. So that could potentially happen. I also think when the NFL, uh, an NFL source put yeah. out yesterday the six to eight games, Do you think that's potentially the NFL trying to get the feel of the world? Like, if you put that report out that it might be six to eight games, you think they were going through the responses and kind of seeing the climate of potentially the uh, suspension? Because, in my opinion, Luke, it's a year. It's a year minimum, and then go from there. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it should be a year. I don't know. I saw this report, and I'm surprised because it kind of contradicts what the NFL was apparently saying just a couple days ago where they were pushing for at least a year. I don't know if it was either to see the reaction or to try to – lay that foundation that if Deshaun does end up getting six to eight, you're already now that's kind of what you're expecting instead of the one year. I don't know. I thought originally leaking that one year thing for the NFL was either to put more pressure on the arbiter or to make the NFL look bad better that if the arbiter only gives Deshaun six to eight games or they have to give a specific number, say six games, the NFL could say, well, you know, we thought it should have been a year so that they look better in the whole situation. 
So I don't know. All these leaks, I have no idea. I guess I'll just wait till the final outcome. It's so difficult to follow, but right now, I, I mean, if it wasn't a year, I'd be incredibly shocked, and I think Calvin Ridley better be raising, you know, a lot of hell if he uh, if it's a if he gets if Deshaun Watson gets six games and Ridley plays, you know, a thousand dollars in bets and gets minimum of a year, minimum. I think that's incredibly backwards. Even though I understand what the NFL was trying to do with Calvin Ridley by set, setting an example, but you also have a guy who's got a uh, you know. I guess four now civil cases and about mm -hmm. 66 women in total that have accused him of sexual misconduct. So maybe you make sure those uh, suspensions kind of line up a little bit before you make any brash moves, NFL. Yeah, I said at the time of the really the I mean the NFL they just care about the integrity of the game. Yep. So they, if you got Goodell in a room, he probably is more concerned about what Ridley did than what Deshaun did. If we're being honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with that said, if you only give Deshaun, say, six games, seven games, whatever, compared to Calvin Ridley, you'll have a lot of upset, not only Falcons fans, I'm sure, but a lot of upset women that are like, man, you yeah. suspended Calvin Ridley for a year. Deshaun has all these accusations. You know, th this is what women have been fighting for, that right. uh, nobody believes them. They never get the fair punishment when something like this happens. And uh, that would only give more um, fuel to that fire if Deshaun gets like six games compared to like you said Calvin really getting at least a year for gambling right uh, last thing here Luke Motor City Dan Campbell uh, head coach of the Detroit Lions has uh, the fourth best odds to win coach of the year this coming season now I want to get your opinion on this because I believe that he has a big shot to win the coach of the year if they go 10 and 7 and make it to the playoffs Ooh. I don't think that will happen I mean they won three games last year but in any world and it's funny because the top four coaches it's like Doug Peterson, Brian Dayball, uh, Brandon Staley, and then uh, Dan Campbell. A lot of young coaches who don't have a ton of experience. Do you think there's in any way, shape, or form that the Detroit Lions, I don't even, if they win 10 games, if they go 10-7, and seven, they don't have to win a playoff game. They just have to make the playoffs, and I think Dan Campbell would win Coach of the Year. Maybe I have a future on him. Who knows? Maybe I will put that in at some point. But do you think there's any way that the Detroit Lions can win 10 games this coming season? No, I don't think so. Either. I do think they'll be better. I, and I've been saying all off season, I think the Lions will be better than a lot of people think. I think they'll be better than last year. I think they'll be better than the Bears. But 10 games is way too much. Yeah. I'd put them at, like, if somehow they won seven, like, that would be a uh, that'd be like winning the Super Bowl for them this year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Statue of Dan Campbell goes up. Oh, so yeah. That, and you and I, you know, we, we cheer for teams that are in that division as well. So, yeah, I definitely hope they don't win 10 no, games. No, right. <laughs> there's no doubt. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But yeah. if they do, I mean, that could shake up a couple of things. I, I also, I mean, they the Lions, the Jets, the Jaguars, who will be the next Bengals? Is it the Lions? None no. of those teams have Joe Burrow. I, I'm right. sorry about it. And they don't have a young coach like Zach Taylor and a guy named Jamar Chase. So that's just not going to happen just yet. No, I'm with you. Right. It comes down to the quarterback. We started the afternoon talking about that yeah. at college. When name, image, likeness, same in the NFL. You need that star quarterback. Uh, and, yeah, and Jared Goff's not that guy. I will say this, though, about coach of the year. I have always said it should go to the coach that actually does the best coaching job. So, like, last year I was fighting for uh, Nick Sirianni. I thought did the best job because the Eagles preseason odds, they were expected to win. I don't know. I think it was like five games. They went to the playoffs and won nine. Now I know they beat a bunch of bad teams and you know, how good were they, but he got more out of that team than I think any other coach. Right. He, he didn't even get like a single vote last year. Mike Vrabel won the award because the Titans were the one seat. And look, the Titans had a bunch of injuries, so okay, Vrabel, I think, did do a good job last year. Yeah, nine, I think 90 different players on yeah. the roster, so, so I'm sure they factored that in. Right, and they were still the best team. But a right. lot of times, the, when you say, who's coach of the year, people always say, like, well, this team's in first place. Yeah, like when Belichick was winning divisions with Tom Brady, and Belichick's the greatest coach of all time, but I'm not giving him the award because that's kind of like what's expected. To me, coach of the year should be, even if a team finishes in like third, like if yeah. you exceeded expectations, you were only supposed to win three games and you won seven, 
you did a really good job as a coach that year. So when it comes to coach of the year, in terms of like Dan Campbell, I don't think the Lions, like me personally, this is typically not how the votes go. But if I was voting and Dan Campbell this year says, say he wins eight games, I would consider him for coach of the year, even if they're in third place, because he, he did a pretty good job with a bad team. But people don't really look at the war that way. Uh, I look, I brought it up. I Googled it. Last year it was um, it was uh, Vrabel. Last year, you know, I'll say this, last year in defense of the voters, last year you could look at it both ways. Because Vrabel, as we just said, had a bunch of injuries, and they were in first place. And then, uh, oh, like Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur finished in second. I mean, come on. Did he really do a great job last year? He got Aaron Rodgers, and they won exactly as many games as the year before. So that's the type of deal where, for me, when I'm looking at coach of the year, more impressive to me was like Nick Sirianni, first-time head coach, first-time starting quarterback, gets the team to the playoffs when nobody was expecting it. LaFleur had Aaron Rodgers in a bad division, and they won the division, as they should have. Uh, so that's how I look at it. So anyways, that's my little rant that when it comes to like Dan Campbell, you know, if the Lions look a lot better this year, right. I would consider him for coach of the year. I think that I feel like Brandon Staley is probably the leader. in the. If they go to the playoffs this year, I feel like it's, oh, it's finally the wonder boy, the, you know, the uh, Ivy League guy finally gets his one. But also, Luke, don't sleep on our guy Mike McDaniel if they win a couple games. For sure. If they finish, like, second in the AFC East, if they beat out the Patriots a couple times, our, our guy Mike McDaniel, his swag is going to be up there accepting a coach of the year. Award. Oh, I would love to see that. That's another good one. That's yeah. exactly what I'm saying. He takes over a team that – uh, you know, last year had a losing season. He's got a quarterback on the hot seat, first-time head coach. And if the Dolphins have a good year, yeah, he should be considered for turning around that team, uh, even if they don't win the division or even if they're not in first place. That's what I look for when I think of coach of the year. Who did the best job? Just simply put, instead of, like, who had the best team? But anyways. Uh, somebody on the text line said, what about a 20-game suspension for Deshaun Watson? I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, it may. If the NFL gets what reportedly they want, a year suspension at least, an indefinite suspension of at least a year, meaning you're going to miss this year, and then we'll see after that. We'll go from there. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe you could miss 27. I think a year is a good amount. I mean, you can make a case that if Deshaun is guilty of what they're accusing him of, he probably should never play in the league again. But at least a year, that's something. Six games just doesn't feel quite right. And I don't want to compare apples and oranges, right? But this is a day after uh, R. Kelly got, caught, uh, got found guilty of uh, all of his terrible things. That he did to women yesterday, and he's going away for a long time. It's not to say what Deshaun did is the same as R. Kelly, but I'm just saying R. Kelly uh, got uh, some severe. While I'm thinking of such a terrible subject, uh, R. Kelly got quite the punishment yesterday. As he should have. Yeah, I know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he should have been put away for life, but, you know, 30 years. Yeah, uh, and it should have happened a long time ago. Too. Yeah, jeez. By the way, not to get too uh, dark or deep, can you still listen to R. Kelly music? No, I, I really can't. I, I mean, did you see the documentary by chance? No, I Survi- didn't. Surviving R. Kelly. I did not. Yeah, that uh, that was terrifying, Luke. That yeah. that was it was incredibly sad. I cried during the uh, documentary. That's how much it gets you. This guy is a complete other scumbag. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He did some terrible things. So he got thirty years. That's not to say Deshaun did the same things as R. Kelly. I probably shouldn't even brought up R. Kelly in the conversation with Deshaun. Uh, but it was on my mind because I was reading about it last night, and uh, I grew up enjoying R. Kelly's music. That's always a weird one. You like the music, but then the artist does something awful. It's like Bill, Co- you know, can you watch anything with Bill Cosby anymore? I don't know. Can you separate the art from the artist? Anyways, that's a whole nother conversation to be had. When we come back, we'll wrap up hour two. Some more midday show on ESPN Radio. Ben lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. I want to fly.
Wrapping up hour two of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We've got a bit of a bombshell here in the sports world. I'm still even just trying to process this. But according to John Wilner, who um, covers the Pac-12, is one of the best at covering the Pac-12. I've read his work over the years. He uh, said, according to a source, USC and UCLA are planning to leave for the Big Ten as early as 2024. Move has not been finalized at the highest levels of power. So that'd be two years from now. He just uh, tweeted this uh, within the last 25 minutes. Um, just quickly off the top of my head, right? I almost need a moment to like sit down and think about this. Obviously, it seems like it's uh, it would be a money move like all these decisions are. The Pac-12 has been struggling. They've been on the, the brink of bankruptcy. So it's almost like jumping off a, a, a sinking ship before it goes under. And the Big Ten is much more powerful and better, and they bring in more money. I say all the time, right? I mean, the Big Ten, they have the, better, they have the best TV ratings. The Big Ten does better TV than uh, the SEC even. You know, it's cold. People are inside. They're looking for things to watch. The Big Ten Network does really well. So the Big Ten is right up there in the SEC in terms of money and eyeballs and everything. If not the SEC, the Big Ten's a pretty good plan B. So obviously for money, better conference, resources, that's all good and well for USC and UCLA. Uh, it's obviously a bad sign for the Pac-12 and what the Pac-12 would be without USC and UCLA. But this was is uh, shocking news. Did not see anything like this coming, especially after Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, we thought, because he didn't want to go to the SEC. And now they may be going to the Big Ten at USC. A few more thoughts on this coming up. Hour 3 next. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ 98.9 FM, WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, we'll circle back to Freddie Freeman, plus Brooks Kepka with some thoughts. We'll get ready for the July 4th holiday because this is the final hour I'll be on air before July 4th. I'll be away tomorrow and next week. We'll reconvene on July 11th. Into the month of July. Wow, July's already here tomorrow. June went quick. We were just talking about how June got here quickly. Now June's already gone. Leaving tonight. So after today, I'll be back with you July 11th. I'm sure not a whole lot will happen in the next few days. Get to Sean Watson's verdict and everything else going on. And potentially, college football teams joining other conferences. We'll circle back to the bombshell report from John Wilner about USC and UCLA planning to leave to the Big Ten in two years. We'll get to that in just a moment. Plenty more to do here in this final hour before we go.
If you ever miss anything from the show, catch you on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. Podcasts also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. And don't forget, charlestonsportsradio.com is the place to be Monday morning on July 4th, 8 a.m. to get your latest foursome for the uh, Summer Golf Tour. Summer Golf Tour continues next week, Monday, 8 a.m., charlestonsportsradio.com. Get there quickly because these foursomes go very quick. And next week, it's the plantation course at Edisto. Uh, the foursomes will be gone within about uh, 10 minutes, probably even on a holiday. So you may be off on uh, July 4th, but the summer golf tour doesn't stop. Get your foursomes this upcoming Monday after the weekend, July 4th, 8 a.m., charlestonsportsradio.com. Foursomes are just 98.9. You can't beat it. So uh, be ready to go next week. Our summer golf tour continues Monday morning, 8 a.m. Set your alarm. Mark your calendar. charlestonsportsradio.com. So John Wilner had this report last hour, shared it with you just before we closed out hour two. But according to at least a source, Wilner was told, and he covers the Pac-12, USC and UCLA are planning to leave for the Big Ten as early as 2024. Move has not been finalized at the highest levels of power. That's what John Wilner said. Now, clearly, right, it's uh, it, any like most decisions, this is why I said at the time when people were being really hard on the live golfers, most things we do in life is just based around money. That's what those guys did. I imagine that's what these two schools are doing here, USC and UCLA. You go to the Big Ten, you're going to get more money. Pac-12 has been struggling for years. They're on the brink of bankruptcy. They have the worst TV deal. The Big Ten probably has the best TV deal in uh, college sports. So where would you rather be, the Pac-12 or the Big Ten? Well, certainly from a business perspective, if all things were equal, of course the Big Ten. You'll make more money. Uh, You'll be in a better situation. You'll have better resources. But when we look specifically at USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten, it's pretty interesting. Shocking. I did not see any sort of announcement like this coming anytime soon. But in terms of competition, the Big Ten will be much more challenging. See, that's the interesting thing about USC. USC now at Lincoln Riley and the talent they're bringing in, especially with name, image, likeness, the idea, the thought is that USC could dominate the Pac-12 moving forward much like they did with Pete Carroll. Now, if you ask, I've always made this case before in the show, that if you ask those that run athletic departments, they care more about making money than they do winning games. That's the name of the game is making money. A lot of baseball teams or a lot of professional teams are like that as well. Just like I said in the first segment today, teams that won't spend money, right, because they're more interested in just simply making money. They want to pocket the money. They don't want to reinvest it in the roster. They don't care if their team's not winning games as long as they're making money. That's all they care about. So most people that are not like coaches, most people that are making the business decisions, well, they care about the business. They want to make money. So for USC, what's better financially being in the Big Ten? What's better on the football field being in the Pac-12? Certainly for UCLA. UCLA is not even a great program in the Pac-12. Good luck football-wise going to the Big Ten. UCLA is more about, it'd be more for basketball. Big Ten's a really good basketball conference. UCLA under Mick Cronin is getting that basketball program back. Obviously, historically, it's a great basketball program. You add that into the Big Ten, that makes the basketball uh, even better. And USC, Andy, Enf- Andy, uh, Andy Enfield has done a pretty good job there. USC basketball, you know, they'll help out as well with Big Ten basketball. But for UCLA, uh, you know, that's a bigger get uh, in basketball than it is football. But I do find it interesting that USC, you could stay where you are, dominate for years theoretically under Lincoln Riley. We were just talking yesterday about which of these new coaches could win first. You know, Lincoln Riley at USC uh, could try to get it done, but now it's going to become a lot harder moving to the Big Ten. And then the, I guess, irony, 
I never really know with that term after the crummy 90s song, but Lincoln Riley, the idea was that he left Oklahoma because he was afraid. This is what we all believe. This is our theory as sports fans. He's afraid to go to the SEC. He wants to go to the Pac-12 where it's easier. Well, now the Pac-12, right, as soon as he gets to USC before he even coaches a game, it's like, all right, we're going to the Big Ten. So that's interesting. So maybe there wasn't any truth to those theories or rumors. In regards of the players and, like, recruiting, I think UCLA, this could really hurt. USC may be just fine that it, that it won't matter, especially with the transfer portal and Lincoln Riley and now name, image, likeness. But the idea is that you um, always want to play in the areas you recruit. Colorado has struggled since joining the Pac-12 because they're like the outlier. You know, Rutgers in the Big Ten is a disaster. There's nobody else really around them. I went through it as a UConn fan. That's why UConn just rejoined the Big East. They were playing in the American Conference, the AAC, and they would go down and play in Texas and Louisiana and all these other places, and it's like, we're not recruiting kids from here, and it's hard to sell kids on, hey, come play at UConn, and we'll go play in Texas. Like I have no family around there. I want to play in this area where I grew up, the places I'm familiar with, where my family could still travel to the games and see me. And so UConn uh, kind of screwed over their football program just to get the basketball program back in the Big East because it's so much better for them. Now they play just in the Northeast. Makes it easier to recruit. So in the case of USC and UCLA, you're recruiting a kid that, hey, come play in California, and then we're going to go out to the Midwest and play all our games. Typically, could be a little bit of a tough sell. Now, again, for UCLA, I think it would be a tougher sell. USC, maybe not so much because it is the brand of USC, and you have Lincoln Riley, and they'll have name, image, and likeness. And the other thing that probably helps is that they're also based in California. So you have all the talent you need in that state, even if you are going to travel out of that state to play a lot of your games. There's so much talent to pick from in your own backyard still. Where, like, again, to use my examples, Colorado, eh, how much football talent is there around there? Connecticut, we have some good basketball players, but it's not New York City. Um, It's not Chicago, right, when you make things even harder on yourself to recruit. For USC, there's so much talent in California that even if they make things a little bit harder, there's just, it's just a numbers game. There's so many guys to choose from. But that is something else that we see this a lot when teams join conferences that they're far away from. It makes it harder on them. They usually have less success uh, in said conference. You could probably make the case for like a Missouri as well in the SEC. Missouri is the outlier. Everyone else is actually in the Southeast. Missouri's over there doing their own thing. And uh, they have not been great in recent years trying to compete in the SEC or even get great players. But I think also, most importantly, the number one takeaway from all of this, other than maybe the shock value once that wears off and you're trying to figure out like what's going on Uh, it's just another move towards these super conferences we always hear about with oklahoma and texas going to the sec in 2025 now uh, an opportunity this is just uh, you know a report right now this isn't 100 percent fact but a report that in two years we'll have usc ucla join the big 10 i mean what do you have left in the pack whatever they become the pack 12 they'll have to change their name again what do you have left in the Big 12? I know they're bringing in Cincinnati and they're bringing in all these others. It's not Oklahoma. It's not Texas. They're not teams that are competing for the national championship. And you'll have the SEC and the Big 10 that are already the two best conferences that are only going to get stronger with these moves. Now, I know on um, Fan Talk, this is going back maybe a couple of weeks, you guys did an exercise where you were trying to come up with a super conference, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. We definitely did. Definitely did. If you remove now USC and Texas-Oklahoma, because they're joining the SEC in the Big Ten, what other teams in the Pac-12 
would like a super conference be interested in? Uh, you know, I, I think Utah could probably be in that conversation because they've had good years. Oregon can be in that conversation. Yeah, Potentially Washington. I know they haven't had mm-hmm. great success over the last four or five years, but they almost were a playoff team. I believe they were a playoff team a couple yeah. of years back. So I think those three brands, but I mean, the Oregon States of the world, you, you know, they're, they won't survive, unfortunately. Cal, like all those schools. I'll give you Oregon. Yeah. Utah, I don't know. Utah, you know, they've had some good years, but I don't know if they have, like, the draw, the, you know, the brand power. They don't, but they'll probably beat the life out of Florida with one. So, <laughs> Something to look forward to. Um, in the Big 12, without Oklahoma and Texas, who else in the Big 12 is there that would be of interest to, say, some sort of super conference? Oklahoma State, I think, would be, would yeah, be a think team. So? Yeah, I think so? Yeah, I think they have a, a decent enough draw. They always put out, you know, good products. They've had a lot of success over the past couple of years. Baylor potentially could, uh, could be in a super mm-hmm. conference. But these are all, like, teams on the fringe, right? Yeah. Like, it's flip a coin if you want to put Oklahoma State. Flip a coin if you want to put Washington in there. But, yeah, I mean, it's – this is – I was not expecting this today, and this is all just completely turned on its head now. And like you're mentioning, this is kind of the start of a you know hopeful super conference at some point. Yeah, we're continuing to move in that direction. The ACC is the one exception because you do have Clemson, of course, Miami, and then I'd still say Florida State, even though they're down mm-hmm. right now. Um, Virginia Tech even has a big brand, so yeah, you could see maybe a Virginia Tech. Notre Dame half the time, <laughs> like that's right. Notre Dame is an independent. Yep, they still be one. Yeah, and they're a quasi part of the ACC. So the ACC still has some schools that they can hold on to, obviously most notably Clemson. But if these moves do take place or when these moves take place in the case of the Big 12, like you know, these are big hits to the Pac-12, the Big 12, and then you're looking at the powers of the Big 10 and, and the SEC and then Clemson and Miami over there uh, controlling things. So just moving closer to this idea of some sort of super conference taking over college football. But uh, a big report. I don't know if we can even call it news yet, right? It's just an idea, but a source saying they're planning to leave for the Big Ten as early as 2024. Uh, could this be some sort of, like, bluff to get more out of the pack? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's an interesting thought, idea, and report from John Wilner. Now, do you – I'm a fan of the Super Conference. Like, if we had one, I'd like to see – we were just talking before uh, we came back on – Southern Cal versus Ohio State, I feel like it's going to be awesome. You know, uh, Southern Cal versus uh, Michigan is going to be awesome. I I would like to see more of these games happen, you you know, as far as if we had a super conference, you could get an Alabama taking on a uh, Southern Cal in the regular season. You can get a Texas going to Ohio State, you know, to take them on. I think that'd be pretty cool. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. I've never been anti-super conference. I'm one that doesn't really like change, so I – I hate conference realignment in general. Like, I hate when they ruined the old Big East. The Big East was great. Now, I grew up on the Big East, so maybe I'm a little biased. But even Big East football I always enjoyed, you know, 20 years ago. So I hate all the moving around. But also at the same time, yeah, if you give me a super conference where you take the 25 best teams in college football and they're all just in the same conference and they just play one another, I mean, how could you hate that? You're getting the best games that we could get in college football. Uh, That would be great. It would suck for the next tier of teams. Like, if you're a fan of a Colorado, Colorado State, all these other schools, Rutgers, yeah, it kind of sucks. You're on the outside looking in. You're going to have to do your own thing. You become, like, the Division I AA. But just from a general college football perspective, yeah, if you give me all the top teams in college football competing in the same conference and just playing one another, oh, it would be tremendous football. It would suck for everybody else. And I'm a UConn fan, so, look, we're never going to be considered for anything. UConn should be in the FCS, but uh, uh, for just a general college football fan, you'll get some great games and some great interest. Grace Rayner, who I know goes on Fan Talk quite a bit, 
covers uh, Clemson. She said the ACC has never needed Notre Dame more than it does right now. Yeah, it's like you're trying to grab all sorts of assets while you can, give yourself some sort of power. And if the ACC adds Notre Dame, it goes back to what we were just saying. They're the last conference left that hasn't been, um, hasn't been rated yet. But you have Clemson, Miami, Florida State, maybe one of the Virginias. And then if you could get Notre Dame football-wise in there, right, that's a big, a big get for them too. And you can uh, be part of that conversation of these quote-unquote super conferences. You could have a seat at the table. Hey, here's what we could bring to the table. Here's our teams that would be of interest. It would suck for the other teams of the ACC, but for some of those teams there, or just the the powers of the ACC to have enough uh, uh, powerful brands in that conference to keep that conference together and afloat, which is why I go back to two years ago in the pandemic, the ACC had their opportunity when Notre Dame for the first time needed the conference more, and they just let them in for one year and then let them go. And that was a huge mistake, and that's not armchair quarterback. I said it at the time. There was no foresight from the ACC. You should have never let Notre Dame in the conference for one year just to let them go back and do their own thing. You had them by the short hairs. You said, we'll let you in the ACC, but you're going to have to stay. And if not, good luck this year putting together a schedule. And the ACC didn't do it. They didn't play hardball. And now we'll see what happens moving forward with all this movement in college football. It's interesting. Right now, I guess it's just kind of a, a thought or the initial report. We'll see how much further this goes in the coming days. But it is an interesting thought to have in, uh, in regards to college football, USC and UCLA potentially going to the Big Ten. Hey, when we come back, Brooks Kepka spoke out about his move to live golf. I found it interesting. We'll play that audio coming up. And then also um, we'll circle back to the Freddie Freeman thing. Not so much about Freeman, but instead this whole ordeal with Freddie this week. We talked about it earlier today because things are only getting um, even worse maybe. We're all involved. When we come back, why it may actually be a good thing for his replacement, Matt Olson. And we'll get to that coming up as well. Plus, uh, we got to try to get ready for uh, July 4th. Last time we are on the air before the July 4th holiday. And you probably have some sort of cookout coming up this weekend. So we'll be here to help. All that and more coming up. It's the More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. It's Throwback Thursday. What's today? It's Thursday. Really? Feels like Tuesday. Tuesday has no feel. Monday has a feel. Friday has a feel. Sunday has a feel. I feel Tuesday and Wednesday. All right, shut up to both of you. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. As we get ready for July 4th, celebrate America. I won't be with you again after today till July 11th, which sounds further away than it is. I'm just off tomorrow next week. I'll be back the following Monday. We'll all be off July 4th. Hopefully you are as well for the holiday. We'll talk about the holiday coming up in a little bit. The last segment we were talking about the potential move for a couple of teams out of the Pac-12. Barrett Salee tweeted that uh, he covers... Uh, Sports for CBS does a little bit of anything. He tweeted, Oregon has left the Pac-12 for the Live Tour. Yeah, you know, speaking of the Live Tour, we'll transition to Brooks Kepka in a moment, but it goes back to what I've been saying all along, that, look, I don't like the idea of uh, getting into bed with the Saudi Arabians, but I've also have defended the golfers in the sense that 
most decisions we make are based off of money, especially when it's uh, a lot of money, when it could be life-changing money, and it could be less work as well. So I do understand where the golfers are coming from, even if I wish it wasn't the case. And I think that's the big piece that a lot of people are missing when they get on their soapbox and they're saying, oh, these guys, can you believe they're doing this with the Saudi Arabians? Look, it's a little bit different when the money's presented to you in person, and you know we all make decisions based off of money. Maybe you've never worked with uh, the Saudi Arabians or you know drug money or anything like that, but uh, you know we all make decisions based off of the idea of working less and making more. That's uh, always been the dream. So while I may not like this whole idea, of course I understand where the golfers are coming from, which takes me to Brooks Kepka. Look, we played the audio, or I, I guess I read the quote at the time. We didn't have the audio. But we had the quote of Brooks just two years ago talking about, you know, no money is going to change my life or make me happy. It's not about money, yada, yada, yada. And then fast forward to a couple weeks ago, he goes over to Live Golf Tour and everybody was showing this old uh, quote from him where it sounds like he is very hypocritical now. What he did joining the Live Golf Tour went against exactly what he was saying in this quote from two years ago. Anyways, here was Brooks Kepka addressing the media this week about his move to the Live Golf Tour, and uh, here's what Brooks had to say about the whole thing. You were vocal in your support for the PJ Tour in the past. What changed? Uh, just my opinion, man. My opinion changed. That was it. Um, you guys will never believe me, but we didn't have the conversation until everything was done at the U.S. Open um, and figured it out and just said I was going to go one way or another. Here I am. With the facts of the decision change, or, or what changed from you know when you said that PJ Tour you were happy on the PJ Tour to to now? Like I said, opinions change, and I I feel very comfortable with the decision I made. I'm happy, and um, I did what's best for me. Brooks, what, what was your uh, reaction? What were you? What did you think when Rory? What is it? I can't hear. What you. was your reaction? What did you think when Rory basically said that you know you're you? Uh, that you went back in your word, that you were, you used the word duplicitous. Uh, look, I got respect for Rory as a player. He's good. He's phenomenal. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I didn't see it. I didn't hear about it till basically like a day ago. So, um, look, he's entitled to his opinion. He can think whatever he wants. Um, he's going to do what's best for him and his family. I'm going to do what's best for me and my family. And uh, can't hate on anybody for that. And like I said, opinions change, man. That was Kepka yesterday. I'm actually a Brooks Kepka guy. I know he's not, like, well-liked. He does come off as a jerk. That's part of the reason, I guess, why I like him. I don't know. It's like Joe Pesci in Goodfellas when he says he's canuto uh, contento, which means you're content with being a jerk, although that's not really what it means. If you don't speak Italian, uh, it actually means something worse, cornuto contento. Uh, but in the movie, right, Pesci says he's content with being a jerk. He doesn't care who knows it. He's, he's happy with being a jerk. That's Brooks Kepka. He doesn't care. He doesn't care what you think. Of him, he doesn't care how he comes off. He goes up there in that press conference. He's just giving his deal, and um, uh, he doesn't care what you think of him or how he, you know, if he looks like a jerk. He's content with being a jerk. Cornuto contento. But I do like Brooks almost nailed it perfectly. Almost. He almost gets a perfect grade for me in this press conference yesterday, regardless of the decision he made. Because a couple of things, right? He said it's best for my family. Finally, we get a golfer that could be a little honest with us. Instead of this stupid PR line of trying to grow the game or whatever, doing good for the game, whatever the stupid line is they're saying. Using golf for good, whatever that nonsense is that they've been fed by the Saudis, the sports wash. Brooks at least stood up there. He didn't give us that nonsense yesterday and say, hey, I think it's good for golf. No, he said, I'm just doing what's best for my family. I appreciate that Brooks Kepler can stand up there and be honest. That's all it is. He's doing what's best for his family, which is making more money. It's as simple as that.
And I also like that he said opinions change, right? Because everyone's going to throw this back in his face. Hey, wait a minute. Two years ago, you said these things about not needing more money. Now you're taking more money. As he said, hey, you know, things change. You can say the same thing about Phil Mickelson. At one time, Phil may have been swimming in it. Then he lost, you know, whatever it was, millions of dollars on gambling. Uh, things change. Now he kind of needs more money. But I always say this just as a little bit of a sidebar based off of what Brooks Kepka said. People always give those in this industry a hard time for changing their opinions. I've had every once in a while people will bring it up to me like, wait a minute, you flip-flopped on that. We, we all change our opinions with more information. Teams change their opinions. Why can't sports analysis analysts or opinionators change their opinions? Right? The Cardinals drafted Josh Rosen and then within months realized, oh, actually, he's not the guy. Let's get rid of him. They changed their opinion pretty quickly on that guy. But for some reason, sports fans have a hard time when, just to pick a random name, Stephen A. says, this guy's really good. And then a year later, you see a clip of him saying, oh, this guy's a disaster. Yeah, I mean, you could change your opinion, too, as you get new information. Right? If you go to the doctor, and suddenly they have a, a new uh, uh, way to try to uh, you know, save you from your condition, it's not the same um, healing process you were going through before. They came up with a new way, a new medication a new uh, study, a new operation, whatever it is, yeah, you'll be willing to try it as well. Like, originally, this wasn't the plan, but we came up with this new idea that we think could really help treat you. Okay, let's do it. All right, you change your opinion. Originally, you weren't going to do surgery. Then things weren't progressing very well. Now you're going to do surgery because things change. So opinions can always change. We see it from politicians all the time, and then people always point to that. Wait a minute, this guy 40 years ago said that, well, you know, things change. The world changes. People's opinion changes. And the case of Brooks Kepka to then bring it back to him specifically, as I've been saying throughout all this, your opinion may change, too, when the money is on the table in front of you. You may say, I would never do such a thing because you don't have to worry about ever being put in that position. Then you sit down one day, and somebody's sitting across from the table, and they're offering you $150 million. And it may not be on the most up-and-up thing, but they're offering you life-changing money. And we could all sit here today, and we don't have to worry about such a, you know, contemplating such a decision and say, I would never do such a thing. I would never work with somebody so terrible or take drug money or blood money, none of it. And then you come home one day and somebody's sitting at your coffee table and they say, hey, here's a contract for $150 million. It's like, all right, where can I sign? Right, that'll change your opinion too when the money's actually dropped in front of you. The one thing that I, um, the one thing that I would knock Brooks Kepka on in that little one-minute snippet was just the idea of he said, oh, you guys are never going to believe me because he knows it doesn't sound truthful. I didn't have any conversations with him until after the Open because we know the audio, the interview he did at the start of that, when he said, why are we talking about the Live Golf Tour, yada, yada, yada. That's the one thing that I think Brooks is not being honest with. I find that hard to believe that when he gave that interview, he had no communication with Live Golf Tour. He was not going to go over there. And then he made that decision all within about 24 hours. Because news came out, I think, on Tuesday. He didn't talk to them after the weekend, so Monday he talks to them. Tuesday news came I don't know. I find that hard to believe that it came together that quickly. A lot like Lincoln Riley, as we were talking about USC earlier, he used that same thing. I did not talk to them until I got home from the game. Uh, well, it was announced on Sunday. So you're telling me this all got done within like 10 hours? I find that hard to believe. That's the one thing I dock Brooks Kepka for. Otherwise, I thought it was a perfect score yesterday from his press conference. I liked it. I liked what he said. The one thing is I think you're still trying to take us for suckers when you say, hey, I didn't talk to them until after the Open that weekend. And I don't think it came together that quick. I think you knew before that event. And when you say something like that, you're never going to believe me because you know it sounds ridiculous. That's why you set it up that way. You're never going to believe me, but this is what happened. You ever have a buddy that tells you that, oh, you know, that's the most ridiculous story they're about to tell. You're never going to believe what happened. They're running late for something. They finally show You're never going to believe what happened to me on my way over here. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm sure. 
And they tell you the most ridiculous story. That's the one thing that stood out. Otherwise, Brooks Kepka, yeah, you nailed it. And like uh, Joe Pesci said, right? He's content with being a jerk. He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care who knows it. He's just going to do his thing. Part of the reason why I like Brooks. He doesn't pander. Uh, he doesn't uh, give in to like any sort of public pressure. He's, he's just him. I appreciate people that are authentic, even if they come off as jerks. At least he's authentically a jerk. He's uh, That's him. That's who he is. He's not phony. Anyways, we were talking earlier about Freddie Freeman. Doug Gottlieb had this report yesterday that I, I don't buy. Uh, the agent then responded said the report is not true and at least is bluffing with potential legal action on Freddie Freeman. I was thinking about this. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe. But, boy, is Matt Olson playing really well these last couple of days. You ever go to, like, a high school reunion with your significant other, and they tell you before, right, you didn't go to the same high school, you didn't grow up in the same area, but you're going back to their high school reunion, and they say before, like, uh, you know what, you may see uh, John tonight. We dated for a number of years back then. I don't want things to be awkward. And then you show up at the high school reunion, and it may be a little awkward. And here comes John strolling over, and he's trying to uh, look like the big shot. And like, hey, here's what you missed. Well, here's what you missed out on. And now you're the replacement for that guy, John, who dated for all those years. And if you show up at that reunion and you know going in, like, oh, I'm going to see some of my uh, girlfriend or wife, whatever, fiance, some of her uh, former flames, right? You want to make sure you give a pretty good presentation, too. You also may be a little insecure, maybe a little bit, that you want to make sure you are a great boyfriend or husband, whatever, because you don't want any of that doubt to creep in. With your wife wondering, like, oh, what if I stayed with John? And so you're on your A game that night, and you bring it to that high school reunion. And when John strolls around, right, uh, you're, you're the alpha in the room. Anyways, when Freddie Freeman comes back to Atlanta, and everybody's talking about, oh, Freddie, he's crying. He wishes he was he's still here. It's too bad. Freddie's not our first. Why couldn't we work this all out? And Freddie Freeman could still be on the roster. And Matt Olson's sitting over there as like the new boyfriend, the new husband, thinking like, hey, uh, what about me? Forget this, this old guy. You moved on from him. I'm the new guy here. We're in a relationship now. And some people can really, uh, that can really ruin them. Some athletes, people in life may not be able to handle that pressure. The mental head games, whatever it is. Other guys may rise above it may bring out the best in them. You show up at that high school reunion, and you are on your A game. And you bring the great dance moves, and you are the life of the party, and right, the wife's having a great time, and uh, you're looking good. Got a haircut. Right, Matt Olson, since Freddie Freeman arrived back in Atlanta, he's now 7 for 18 this past week. A couple of homers, four runs batted in, a couple more hits last night, and a nice win. He was batting 247 before Freeman's return this weekend. Small sample size. It's only been five games. He's hitting almost 400. In those five games, he's coming around. He's getting hot. He's playing well. And maybe it's that idea of like, hey, you know, you wish you still had this guy. I'll show you. You should be happy that you're with me now. You should consider yourself lucky I'm your first baseman. And Matt Olson's played pretty well these last few games. By the way, the, Bra the Braves have tied the record for most wins in any month ever in franchise history here in June. June wraps up tonight, so they get one more. They could set the record if they beat the Phillies tonight, which would also be a sweep. That'd be pretty good. But how about that? It's a long history for the Braves. I don't think this is just their Atlanta history. I think it's all time for the Braves. They're 21-5 and five this month. They've never won 22 games in a month, according to what I have read. They could do that tonight. Pretty good. And in the process, they entered June trailing the Mets by 10.5 games. They're now only behind by three games on the Mets. Things are going to be really interesting. Moving forward. And the Braves, I said, this is going to be the big test. You're playing three teams in a row that all have winning records. 
This is the big first test for the Braves. Well, if they win tonight, it'll be a 7-3 and three homestand, and that's pretty darn good. And they'll have, have, uh, they've already won two out of three series, and if they win tonight, they'll have swept the Phillies. Pretty good. So the Braves are having a pretty good month. Now, it's really fascinating. I'll be back on air uh, after today on July 11th. That's when the Braves and the Mets play again the, the next time. And I believe it's in Atlanta, right? Three-game series, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of that week. That's going to be really fascinating. By then, maybe, who knows, maybe the Braves are already in first place. That's about a week and a half away. They're three games back. We'll see. But starting on that day, July 11th, the Braves will play the Mets 15 times in their final 75 games. That is 20% of their remaining schedule. A fifth of their games will be against the Mets. So the NL East should be a lot of fun over the final three months. All right, once we get into July, they play the Mets 20% of the rest of their games, 15 times out of the last 75, which was a great job done by the scheduling for Major League Baseball. And it's going to start on that July 11th. So I'll be back on the air uh, July 11th, and I'll be looking forward to that game that Monday night. Braves-Mets three-game series begins. Uh, we'll see where the Braves are in the standings. But I owe them a bit of apology. They won 14 straight. It was a little hard. Uh, they've now gone 6-3 and three on this uh, big test of a homestand and also have shortened the gap. But I've also said throughout this whole thing, that I do think you know this race is going to come down to September, and I thought the Braves would be right in there in the East. Uh, even when they were beating a bunch of bad teams, I said they still got to prove to me they could beat a good team, but I also thought they'd hang around in the division. And boy, are they. They've cut that lead down from 10.5 to 3 this month alone. Now, when it comes to uh, Freddie Freeman, you may recall that Clayton Kershaw, remember he had uh, you know kind of some strong words for Freddie the other day to the paper. Freddie said they have since uh, addressed it. They've cleaned it up behind closed doors, him and Clayton Kershaw. We actually had, we grabbed the we got the audio of Clayton Kershaw talking about Freddie Freeman. The two having a conversation about everything going on this past week with Freddie's emotional return to Atlanta. Here's uh, Kershaw's opinion on everything that happened this past weekend. Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. No crying. That's what Clayton Kershaw had to say to Freddie Freeman. Exclusive audio for the Moro Midday Show. Fortunately, I think they've worked things out behind closed doors. But what an emotional weekend it was for Freddie. We had a recorder in the clubhouse. That's right. By the way. Yep, inside sources. <laughs> I know good people in that Dodgers organization, and they happened to record that conversation. They sent it to me, and I said, thank you very much. By the way, Clayton, you sound a lot like Tom Hanks. I don't know if anybody ever told you that. But that was how it went between Clayton Kershaw and Freddie Freeman the other day. There's no crying in baseball. Get out there and play first base and make your millions. When we come back, we have to get to our persona non grata. Plus, we'll look ahead to uh, July 4th, help you get ready for your celebrations. The more Midday Show, right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Got a few things to get to before we close up shop here on this Thursday. Get ready for the July 4th holiday. I won't be on air tomorrow or next week, so I'll talk to you after today again on July 11th, and I'll be looking forward to it. I'll be honest with you. I, I never like taking time off. It's always weird. 
uh, I always feel like I, I have to bottle it up. I'm sitting at home going crazy thinking I have so many things to say about sports. Who am I going to say them to? So I'll drive my family nuts with uh, all my sports opinions over the next few days um, to, as we celebrate the holiday. And then we'll be back on July 11th and have all sorts of fun again here uh, a week from Monday. You can always join the conversation, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. Let's go to the phones. We haven't heard from him in a while. Sam's with us. Sam, what's going on? How are you? Good. How are you doing, Luke? I know it's been, been a while, so yeah. I'm so glad to Well, good to hear from you. What's up? Hey, um, I have one question for you for today. Oh, okay. um, did you get the news that um, the updated schedule for the CFC men's basketball schedule? No, I haven't. I don't think the schedule's out yet, is it? Well, not quite yet, though, because um, I didn't talk with Pat Kelsey about it, and um, I'm still confused about it. So the other thing I wanted to tell you is um, what do you think about the, um, Kenny Pickett's sports career as a Steeler? Yeah, I'm curious to see how Kenny Pickett does for your Steelers now replacing Ben Roethlisberger. I think that we talked about this in the show previously. If I'm the Steelers, I don't throw Kenny Pickett out there week one. I would let Mitch Trubisky start the year and ease Pickett in. I don't need to rush him onto the field, but I do like Kenny Pickett. I'm a Kenny Pickett guy. I'm curious to see how he does in Pittsburgh. It helps that he's got Mike Tomlin as a Hall of Fame coach. They're going to have a good defense uh, there. It's a tough division, but I'm curious to see. I think Kenny Pickett could work in the NFL but in regards to this year, if I'm the Steelers, I'll take my time. I don't want to throw him out there week one. I'll wait until October before I put him on the field for the first time, if I even do it that early. Well, thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Hope you're doing well and stay safe, my man. Hey, likewise, Sam, before we let you go, for July 4th coming up, what's your favorite thing to have at a cookout? Well, I'm, not, I'm a big cookout fan, but I like um, Marco's pizza better. Oh, you rather do pizza on July 4th? Well, actually, um, my family is coming. My family is coming to town on the fourth of July. Awesome. Uh, we belong to this yacht club called the Zanzibar Yacht Club, and they won't have um, a meat lover special. Oh, now you're talking. That's how you celebrate. Hey, Sam, have you a want great. Uh, I'm going to be out of town. Otherwise, I would love to. That'd be great. But you have a great July Fourth for me instead. And I'll, I'll be Uncle Sam. So. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's perfect. Appreciate it, Sam. Have a good July 4th. That's right, Uncle Sam. Hey, you know, I tell you what. Uh, I've always said that this is the great. We don't do everything perfectly. we got things to fix in this country. It's the greatest country, though. I'm very patriotic. I love this country. No other place could I have a career where I just sit here and talk sports all day. And that's all. That's what I do. I mean, are you kidding me? It's fantastic. So uh, with July 4th coming up, celebrate uh, accordingly and responsibly and have a great time. But I, I think it's interesting. Our country is a lot like, uh, I guess you would say, Kurt Flood, who started free agency in Major League Baseball. It is a sports show, so I have to make a sports connection. right? Remember, we had the, uh, why would I say remember? Nobody was around in the 1700s. You may recall way back when in 1776 when uh, our good friend signed the Declaration of Independence. Um, nobody remembers that. But if you think back to history class, if you remember back to, to school, right, we declared our independence in 1776, but then we had a fight for it, and we had the Revolutionary War, and that went on for uh, about eight years, seven years, and that continued to 1783. So we declared our independence, then we had a fight for it. And if you go back to Kurt Flood, Major League Baseball, right, the start of free agency, he declared, hey, I want freedom. I want to be a free agent. That was in 1969. And then Kurt Flood had to fight for it, and free agency did not come to baseball and then afterwards other sports until 1976. 
He had to fight for it for seven years. After we declared our independence, we then had to fight in the Revolutionary War for another seven years. So America, right, it's no wonder we love sports because uh, we started off, we were like a free agent, this country. Back in 1776, we said, hey, wait a minute. We want to become a free agent. And they said, okay, well, you're going to have to fight for those rights. And we said, sure, just like the Beastie Boys. We fought for those rights for uh, seven years, and then we became a free agent. And Kurt Flood said back in the 60s, hey, I want to be a free agent. You shouldn't have all this control over me, Major League Baseball. And they said, well, you're going to have to fight for it. And he did. He fought for seven years. And then in the mid-70s, we got free agency. Imagine the sports these days without free agency. What a weird world that would be. In the NBA, Major League NFL, there was no free agency. They couldn't control where they went ever. That'd be something. So thank you to Kurt Flood, too, for bringing us free agency. Or I guess the original free agent was, uh, was the United States of America. So thank you for that, too. As we get ready for July 4th, we'd, uh, we're going to do it at the end of every week. I won't be on the air tomorrow. So we have to do it today before we go this afternoon. But uh, we call it Persona Non Grata. Who is the, uh, you could say, bum of the week? Who is Persona Non Grata now? Who went against the family? We have a few people we could choose from. But it's time for this week's Persona Non Grata. You are a disgrace to this university, to this country, and humanity in general. You blew it! I'll shut up for your face. You are one pathetic loser. God, Karen, you are so stupid. Don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I'll shut up for your face! Time now for this week's Persona Non Grata. There's a few people to be able to choose from this week as we look back on the things that we discussed throughout the week. I mean, I think you could just say the Charlotte Hornets right now with their mess of an offseason, not only in terms of a basketball perspective, but even worse than that. When Montrez Harrell gets uh, arrested, now that was for, you know, having weed in the car. Okay, I don't know why he needed to have so much, but we can understand that. Then you get Miles Bridges last night arrested for uh, domestic violence. That's never okay. We'll see how that plays out. But the Hornets right now are embarrassing themselves this offseason. Maybe you say the live golfers. We had some awkward press conferences this week. We played the audio from Brooks Kepka. I thought Brooks was the most forthcoming of any of the golfers. Other guys were saying, hey, I've been working hard for years. I need time off. I mean, you know, come on. You're a golfer. You could choose how many events you were in. At least Brooks said, doing what's best for my family. He didn't exactly come out and say, yeah, they offered me more money. But you know what he means. And that's what all these golfers should be saying because we know that's why they made the decision. And if they were more honest, I think it'd be easier to accept. We could also say Arkansas would be this week's persona non grata because we learned earlier this week on Tuesday that according to one study, no state in this country produces more ugly people than Arkansas. Hello, Arkansas. We know you're listening today. Uh, I could also say maybe Rob Manfred or more appropriately, the person that wrote that article for ESPN.com that we talked about yesterday that tried to paint him as a sympathetic figure. Eh, not buying it. But I'm going to stick with baseball. I'm going to say this week, persona non grata, I mean, it's by definition. It's Freddie Freeman. He's no longer part of the family. He came back as the enemy this past weekend. Don't let the crocodile tears fear, uh, fool you. Freddie wanted to be in Atlanta. He could have been in Atlanta. Things may have got mixed up this offseason. His agent may not have done the best job. But don't take the blame away from Freddie. He had an opportunity. The first offer he got was from the Braves. It was five years, $135 million. And if you really wanted to be in Atlanta to the point that you're driven to tears this past weekend, you would jump at the opportunity to sign that contract to stay. But it wasn't about staying in Atlanta. It was about getting the most that you could. And that's fine. That's what athletes do. But then let's not revise history and sit here this week and say, oh, his poor agent really screwed him over. 
If he really wanted to stay in Atlanta, you sign that deal. It was a fair offer. But why did he want to go to free agency and check in with other teams? Because he wanted a six-year, maybe even more money. And that's what he got from the Dodgers. And now he's on the other side. I know Freddie gave you 15 great years. Look, I'm leaning into this whole heel, heel angle because I'm sure Braves fans hate hearing this from me. I'm sure all Braves fans are still defending Freddie Freeman. I will not defend him. You're responsible for those actions. And the agent works for you. And you had a chance. The first thing, the first offer you got was from the Braves. If you really wanted to be there, you could sign. As I always say, right? Like, like if you're going car shopping and you think like, man, I think I want a Lexus. Let's go look at Lexus's first. And you test drive it and you look at it and you think, yep, this is the car for me. This is what I wanted. And it checks out. I, I inspected it. It's good. It drives well. It's comfortable. It's big enough. It's got all the gadgets. Why would you look around any, any further? Only if you're looking for something else. And for Freddie, he was looking for a sixth year. That was the issue with the Braves. He wanted them to go to six years. So I don't have a ton of empathy. You could have been in Atlanta all you wanted. And it was emotional this past week, and then he fired his agent and all that stuff. It's just passing the blame. The agent works for you. You turned down the offer from the Braves. You could have stayed in Atlanta. You could have never hit free agency if you really wanted to. Why did you want to hit the market? We know why, because you want to see what else is out there. Otherwise, you never become a free agent if you wanted to stay in Atlanta for the rest of your life. And you could tell me, well, he wanted to make sure he got proper value. Look at the contract he ended up signing. When you include taxes and deferred payments and all that sort of stuff, he's making less now for the Dodgers. So tell me about the awful deal that the Braves offered him. I still blame. Right? If Freddie's upset he's out in Atlanta, he could fire people. He could look around. He could cry, whatever. I put the blame on him. And he always seems like a great guy, and he's a great baseball player, and he was a great leader for the Braves. And this past offseason, I said he should retire as a member of the Atlanta Braves. But let's be real in all this. He's responsible for where he wound up. And with that said, when we talk about persona non grata, he fits the def- he's on the other team. Sorry. He's the opponent now. And when it comes to the playoffs, who are you going to have to worry about the most in the NL? Probably the Dodgers. He's on the Dodgers. If you're a Braves fan, after these last couple of years, you should hate the Dodgers. Sorry. He chose to go elsewhere for uh, six years, wanted more time in that contract. He's the opponent. He was great while he was here. Now he's the enemy. He's persona non grata. He's turned against the Atlanta Braves. We'll wrap up your Thursday when we come back. Some more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Alcohol, so finish your whiskey or beer. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay. Wrapping up your Thursday on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcast. And the podcasts are also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. You can always take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or our free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. Download the app, and through the app, you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least 10 different states and multiple countries on this Thursday. Download the app online, Charleston Sports. Uh, search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. Before we go, 
We have some more news to get to? Uh, Justin, Nets forward. Kevin Durant has requested a trade out of Brooklyn. Sources tell Sham Sharania. Oh, boy. Wow. How about that? After Kyrie opted in. Three hours before free agency. Man. Well, sounds like a good time to take a few days off, let me tell you. We'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson. We'll see what happens here at Kevin Durant. That's surprising to me. I thought him and Kyrie were in this together. And when Kyrie opted back in, that would put an end to this drama of these stars reportedly wanting out of Brooklyn. However, I guess that's not the case. I'll be off tomorrow and next week. Hope you have a great July 4th holiday weekend. Hopefully you get some time off yourself as well. Celebrate with the family. Have a cookout. Trent, what's the number one thing you got to make sure you get at a July 4th cookout? Get a hot dog. Get a hot dog with some ketchup and mustard, folks. Enjoy yourself. Be safe. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'll take a nice uh, daiquiri or a frozen drink, too. No problem with that. Throw an umbrella in there if you want. Good with me. Get some watermelon, pina colada. Hey, we'll talk to you on July 11th. Series, uh, life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. Say goodbye for now. Say hello again in about 10 days. It's the more Midday Show on ESPN Radio.